Let's get it going. It's time to get up. Baines caught the pass from Lowry, unable to finish in traffic. And the ball game ends with the Philadelphia 76ers coming back to beat the Raptors 193 the final. These guys are here to break it all down. It's hard to get any word in with this clown. Let's have a little fun and make you a winner. The Vancouver Canucks draft from St. Petersburg of the KHL, Vasiliev Potsovac. This is the starting lineup with James Zabolski and Perry Solkowski. Starting lineup here on Sportsnet 650. No James Balski, no Perry Solkowski. However, they are enjoying an extended holiday vacation right now. I'm Jamie Dodd in with you for the week. Katie Caldwell, uh, my co-host for the week. Katie, how are you? I'll be more excited to be here today. Jamie, how are you? I'm doing well. You know, we were chatting just before the show. And uh, so I knew day one of the morning show was going to be difficult getting up, uh, you know, pre 5 a.m. to do our prep and get ready for the show. I knew day one was going to be tough. It was yesterday. I was hoping that, you know, last night I'd be responsible. I'd get to bed early and and day two would be a lot easier. And it absolutely was not. The alarm went off uh, at an (laughs) ungodly hour and I still just wanted to, to smash it. Uh, rather than get out of bed. But I'm here. I'm excited. We've got lots to talk about. And uh, by the way, Canucks prospect Aiden McDonough is going to join us in just a few minutes here, right off the top of the show. So I'm really looking forward to that conversation. But before we get to Aiden McDonough, I mean, the big topic of conversation here in Vancouver is, of course, about another Canucks prospect. That is Vasily Colson, who finally, finally broke out in a big way at the World Juniors. Last night, uh, he helped Team Russia dismantle Austria. He had two goals, an assist, could have had a lot more. He's the best player on the ice. And, Katie, I think every Canucks fan now has uh, breathed a big sigh of relief that they can stop worrying about Vasily Podkolzin's production of this tournament. I think you're right, Jamie. And simply put, last night we saw the reason he was drafted. And we'll get into this later where you have to be careful not to get either too high or too low on these guys from either a game or a tournament in general. But yeah, it was pretty cool to see Canucks Twitter all kind of come together going, oh, okay, so he is good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And he's, uh, you know, that's what, even if you never were down on him as a prospect, and, you know, we talked a little bit a little bit yesterday that we were both pretty, still pretty high. Uh, on Vasily Podkolzin as a prospect. But, you know, even if you were confident in his abilities and and you're not discouraged by what's happened in the KHL for him this year or the first two games in the World Juniors, it's still just fun to see him get a chance to really show what he can do. And if you've been kind of following Podkolzin this season since he's been drafted you know you know he is he's a tenacious player he's got a nose for the net he can do all of those things but last night what was fun was you know he showed off he's got a really impressive shot right he sniped one of his goals uh his assist came on a shot that dribbled through the goalie and the other player just tapped it in he can really shoot the puck he got to show some of his skills as a playmaker as well and that more than anything you know i I, i'm not going to sit here and say okay based on last night you should completely change your perspective on what Vasily Podkolzin is as a prospect, but it's just it was just fun to see him really get to do his thing in a way he hasn't had the chance to do very often this year. 
Well, that's it exactly, is you're not sitting there watching that going, okay, we're starting to slot him in this place in the lineup and we're planning the cup parade. That's not what we're doing here. But when you watch it, you said it, Jamie, he was the best player on the ice. And when you watch him and you think to yourself, okay, he's the best player out there right now and he'll be wearing a Canucks jersey one day. That's just a fun feeling. And we never know how things are going to turn out, but it was a fun feeling to watch that. And not be going, oh, what about Cole Caulfield and what about Newhook and all of these different narratives that have kind of snuck into this tournament. It was really cool to just watch and go, okay, that's why they drafted him. And yeah, one day he'll be with the team. Yeah, it was an exciting day. As you mentioned, you know, a big day for Quentin Byfield as well, which we'll touch on a little bit later. It's the starting lineup here, Sportsnet 650. 650 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Get in on the conversation. Lots more discussion about Facility Pod Coles and his big night at the World Juniors throughout the show. But as I mentioned off the top, we are now very pleased to be joined by another Canucks prospect. He's playing college hockey at Northeastern University as well. Aiden McDonough joins the show. Aiden, thanks very much for making some time for us today. How are you? Hey guys, how you doing? We're doing really, really well. And, you know, we've got lots of hockey to get into, but, uh, you know, you have, you have some time off right now. And I, I understand from my sources that you've just, uh, you've just finished binging Game of Thrones. So give us, uh, give us your quick Game of Thrones review here. Um, well, yeah, firstly, I think it's a uh, top two show ever that I've ever seen. I think that and Entourage are, are A and 1A and 1B. Um, I think that uh, the ending, like, I think it felt right. A lot of my uh, my roommates that I live with didn't like the ending, but uh, I thought it all kind of made sense. And, uh, yeah, I think it was just an, an awesome show. You know what? I will say, I, I wouldn't say necessarily I loved the ending, but I thought people, like, at the time when it came out, people were kind of over the top uh, hating it. It, was, it worked. It, it, as you said, it, it made a certain amount of sense, and it worked out fine. So I, I'm on your side there. And, uh I don't know if you're looking for uh, if you're looking for other shows to watch. You got some time on your hands right now, but uh, I will say The Mandalorian uh, on Disney Plus. I, I have watched both seasons and enjoyed it very much. So if you're looking for a recommendation, there you go. Okay, yeah, awesome. I appreciate that. Yeah, you're welcome. Canucks prospect Aiden McDonough uh, playing hockey at Northeastern University this year is our guest here on the starting lineup. And I'm really excited to have you on the show, Aiden. You know, it's been about 18 months now since you were drafted by the Canucks. As you kind of look back at those 18 months and, and take stock, how would you say your game has developed since you joined the Canucks organization? Um, yeah, I mean, Jesus. Uh, it didn't seem like that long ago, but uh, I know I think uh, it's definitely been been a lot of ups and downs, but I think it's been upward trending. I think, um, you know, I think I've gotten better at some of the things I need to get better at, but there's still, you know, it's a tons more to, to work on. And, um, you know, I think it's, it's still just a big work in progress, but uh, I think ultimately it's been an upward trending, so. Aiden, you mentioned things that you're hoping to work on. As you go through your own personal development through your hockey career, what are some of those things that you are focusing on improving right now? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I'm obviously working on every part of my game and trying to get better and become a more complete player um, in every aspect. Uh, but I think the biggest thing is for me is just working on, uh, you know, getting a little bit quicker, um, you know, getting quicker out of the blocks, the first three strap, uh, steps and um you know, just to becoming more explosive and, and powerful down low and, and uh, with my legs and being able to be defenders one-on-one and get to scoring areas. Um, and I think I've, I've made strides with that so far. And, um, you know, I still have a ton of work to do and, and continue to keep on working with that. 
obviously this is this has been a year like we've never seen before. What's been the biggest challenge of playing college hockey under these crazy circumstances? I guess just the uncertainty. Um, you know, I, I moved in here September first, and we didn't play a game uh, until December, you know, twelfth. Um, and then so you know we were practicing that whole entire time, having stoppages, uh, you know, throughout the three months we were practicing and. Um, just kind of not knowing when we we're going to play. And then even now in the season, I mean, we found out who we we're going to play Friday um, on Tuesday and we found out our opponent, what time the game is. All the details are kind of getting finalized last minute. So um, I think you just have to kind of be ready for anything and, and um, just kind of mentally just, you know, stick with it. And um, this is a tough time for so many people. So we're just all really grateful to be able to be playing hockey right now. And um, although it is difficult not really knowing your schedule or who you're going to play next or how many games you're going to play or where it's going to be and all those things, I think we kind of just have to be grateful that we're able to at least play hockey right now. So, Aiden McDonough, our guest here in the starting lineup, Sportsnet 650. Uh, Aiden, you know, you mentioned it, it's different circumstances and there's a lot of uncertainty. For you, going into your sophomore year, I know I, I, you haven't had a chance to play all that many games this year as you would have liked, but... Have you noticed that you just feel different as a sophomore now than you did as a freshman on the ice? Because I know making the jump as a freshman to the NCAA, you had a really successful year last season, but I know that can be challenging. Do you just feel more confident and, and a little uh, a little different, a little improved on the ice this year? Yeah, I think, um, you know, the first, you know, in, when you're a freshman, your first few games, I feel like everything's kind of happening so fast and you're just trying to catch up and, and not make mistakes. And um, I think that I definitely am expecting my in, in myself to do better and to do more. Um, you know, I think I'm able to do more. I think I'm holding on to the puck a lot longer, uh, making more plays, you know, spinning off guys in the corner. I think it's all those types of things that kind of come with being able to, you know, be comfortable in the situation that you're in and be put into more situations. And, um, you know, we've gotten off to a pretty good start. And um, I think it kind of, a lot of it has to, to do with our, our team and we, we know we have a young team, but we're really fast and skilled. And I think that, um, you know, it's, it's been a, it's been a long ride so far, but um, you know, I think I definitely feel more comfortable out there than I did last year. That's for sure. To start for sure. And what, you know, we've well, talked, sorry, we've talked a little bit about, you know, what you've been trying to work on in, in the off season. And since you've been drafted, what would you say from an on ice perspective are your goals for the rest of this season, you know, assuming you are able to get a good number of games in for the rest of the year here. Um, yeah, I don't really have any, any, you know, st- statistical goals or concrete goals. I think just to be able to, you know, make an impact every time I'm on the ice, um, you know, help my team win, um, win championships um, and get better every game and, and every day and, and have an impact every time I'm on the ice and, uh, you know, work hard and compete. And if I do those things, if I move my feet, if I shoot the puck, if I get to the net, then, um, you know, points will come and, and goals will come. But, yeah, I don't really have any, you know, set in stone statistics because, um, you know, I've already had a few games this year that I thought I, I played really well and, and done all the little things right and, you know, won every battle, block shots, competed, um, moved my feet, and, and I haven't gotten any points. And then I've also had games where, you know, I haven't really done those things and I've been able to get, a you know, a lucky one here and there. So I think um, just like an overall um, – you know, upward trend of just kind of getting better as the year goes on and, um, you know, helping my team win games and ultimately win championships is my goal. 
upward trend is definitely the goal. So Aiden, you talked about um, some things that you were focusing on proving right now. I'm just wondering how much contact have you had with the Canucks since being drafted by them? And what are some things that they're talking to you about focusing on improving? Yeah, I've had a, a good amount of contact. I think um, I think they, they do a good job of um, kind of letting my coaches at Northeastern coach me, but also, um, you know, just kind of chiming in and, and giving me some pointers and some tips here and there. Um, you know, during quarantine, I, I, I had didn't talk to them as much just because there wasn't really anything going on. And But now that hockey's going again, um, I've talked to RJ and, and uh, Higgins a good amount and um, just to be able to hear from them and, and just kind of have them call and see how things are doing. And, and usually it's just kind of a checkup to see how things are doing, um, you know, how school's going, how hockey's going, you know, kind of what's going on in my life. And it's nothing, you know, ever too crazy. They're just kind of checking in to see how I'm doing and getting to know me a bit better. Um, but, yeah, no, they, they've all said the same thing. You know, they they want me to shoot the puck. They want me to move my feet. Um, they're always really positive. But if they do have stuff, it's, you know, it's, a little criticisms, you know, just, you know, hey, move your feet here, hey, do this. But, um, you know, nothing too crazy. I think it's just kind yeah. of the same thing. It's, it's just to get faster and, and get stronger and, and mature my game and, uh, you know, get more explosive. I think that kind of seems to be, you know, the same for everybody. And, Aiden, you know, I know you're friends with another Canucks prospect, Jack Rathbone. Uh, Adam Gaudet Adam Gaudette also followed a very similar path to you going from the USHL to Northeastern and then joining the Vancouver Canucks and establishing himself as an NHL player. Does does having those connections and, and being able to see a player like Gaudette follow a similar path to you, knowing he's there at the NHL level, does that make you even more excited to be a part of the Canucks system as a prospect right now? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, you know, seeing someone who kind of had the same path, right, from high school to, to junior to college to, you know, drafted by the same NHL team, it's, it's really cool. And, um, you know, I guess it just kind of, um, makes you realize that, um, you know, you're not that far away, but then you also are, you know, I mean, Adam has had an unbelievable career in Northeastern and, and obviously he's doing really well in the NHL, but it's, it's good to, to have a, a goal and see that it's realistic, that it's attainable, that somebody's done it following a similar path than you. Um, and yeah, and having Jack, you know, in Vancouver right now is really cool. Cause I grew up playing with him from first grade to eighth grade. So I, or, you know, first grade to senior year of high school. So I played with him for 12 years and, um, you know, we're still really good friends. We hang out, you know, almost every day in the summer. So being able to to see someone that I'm so close to and have played with for so long, you know, play or hopefully make the NHL this year is, is, is really cool. Just, you know, personally, because he kind of realizes that, you know, you're getting closer to, to that ultimate goal. Well, that's really cool, Aiden. And I know, I mean, I can only imagine how exciting the, the thought of you and Jack playing together in the NHL must be for you guys to have, to have that history growing up together and playing. That's really exciting. And I know a lot of Canucks fans uh, are really excited to hopefully see that in the future as well. You know, you mentioned just hearing you say that when Chris Higgins or, or RJ call you and one of the things they do is check in on how school is going. And just before we let you go here, you know, it is funny because you're trying to develop as a hockey player. Uh, you're you're trying to, you know, continue to grow even even in these unusual circumstances. And you're also balancing going to, a, you know, a, a very good academic institution at the same time. How has school been for you this year? And again, in a, in completely unforeseen circumstances. Yeah, no, it's been it's been really different. Um, right now, I'm on break, so I'm off till about January 20th, which is nice. But um, but yeah, it was really different. I, I took all my classes from uh, from my bedroom this year. I, I didn't attend any classes in person. Um, you have the option whether you want to go in cl- in person or not. But 
I think pretty much our whole team decided to uh, to take classes online. So, um, but yeah, it was definitely really different. I think um, you know I'm, I'm a business major, business administration major, and learning some of those math classes like business statistics uh, online is is pretty tough when you're on your own and you're kind of listening to a, a Zoom call for three hours a day. Um, but no, it was good, and um, you know it's definitely it's definitely a lot more difficult. I think you know although you can kind of slack off a bit more and not have to you know get dressed or get up to go to class. I think it's a, it's a lot harder to, you know, pay attention and, and kind of stay on top of things because, you know, things move pretty quickly and it's uh, pretty easy to fall behind. So, um, but no, I, I, this term went well for me and um, yeah, no, school's, school's going well. I mean, it's kind of why you come to Northeastern, obviously for the great education, also playing hockey too, that doesn't hurt. So um, yeah, it went well. Well, Aiden, we really appreciate you making the time for us today. I'm glad to hear things are going well. And, you know, you've got a lot of Canucks fans rooting for you and, and paying close attention. So, again, thanks for the time. And, and I hope the rest of the holiday season for you and your family goes really well, okay? Yeah, definitely. appreciate it. Thank you, guys. There he is. That is Canucks prospect and current uh, Northeastern University forward Aiden McDonough sharing his thoughts with us about how his school year has gone, also how his hockey season has gone, and some really interesting comments. And, you know, I always uh, I always enjoy checking in with the Canucks college prospects about how their education uh, is going, Katie. And it, it's it's always fascinating to hear their different perspectives, right? And I, I particularly enjoy it when they just casually drop uh, that they're taking an, an extremely impressive course and make me feel, you know, completely. Uh, <laughs> it's like, oh, business statistics. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I totally know what that's about. Yeah, absolutely, Jamie. I also do. I mean, <laughs> I'm a big <laughs> business yeah, statistics guy. Yeah, I'm guilty of that too, though. Where, I, oh yeah, I know they're in college or whatever, but I do forget about the actual yep. academic part that comes along with that and how much pressure and stress that is on its own. Like I've gone to school two different times. Uh, in my life and I wasn't a high level athlete on top of that so (laughs) yeah it's interesting and then like he said where you bring in zoom meetings and just it's easier to slack off because you don't have to be in person here at a certain time whichever and yeah I didn't even really think about the challenges of that until he was talking about that so it's a really really interesting perspective and it's funny too. I mean, you know, he he went, he goes to Northeastern. It's a very prestigious academic institution. You know, you heard him mm-hmm. mentioning he's friends with Jack Rathbone. I mean, Jack Rathbone went to Harvard. So it's it's these. This is I think when we t- when we think of college athletics in the U.S., you know, we tend to think of you know a guy who's doing a one and done year before he goes to the NBA or something, right? And it, and we right. we have this perception that it's just completely a joke the the academic part, and they're not going to class. If they are, they're taking basket weaving or whatever. But it, I think <laughs> I think hockey is it's a very different reality for these guys. Like they are going there for a reason. They're going to go to school, and it's a really interesting wrinkle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, you could hear like obviously Aiden, very very intelligent, very well spoken young man. And uh, I I think it's interesting that the Canucks have dipped so consistently into the college ranks. And I wonder if part of it is, hey, we see these guys that are committed, not just as hockey players, but to to kind of making themselves better off the ice as well. And I think that that's probably part of the attraction for the Canucks and part of the reason that they do draft uh, from the NCAA ranks so consistently. Yeah, that's actually a really good point that I hadn't really put together until you started talking about that. Because yeah, there is a pattern of of that exactly happening so yeah it's interesting and there must be something that that they like in these guys that that go the college route for sure 
And it was uh, it was really exciting, I thought, and really fun to just hear him say how, I mean, he basically grew up with Jack Rathbone uh, and, yeah. and played, played with him for years and years, still hangs out with him all the time in the offseason. I mean, what a fun story that would be if they are able to both make the Canucks roster at some point in the future. And, and just kind of taking a step back uh, from Aiden McDonough specifically, you know, he he was a he was a seventh round pick drafted 195th overall when the uh, when the draft was here in Vancouver back in 2019 and there's it's always you know when you when if your team acquires a seventh round pick or or trades away a seventh round pick or whatever it is it's so easy to just scoff at that and like okay well that's nothing that's absolutely nothing and look most yeah. of the time it's going to be nothing but you know Aiden McDonough just in the time since he's been drafted, he has trended sharply upwards, right? And he is not playing like your typical seventh-round pick. And look, it very much remains to be seen what his NHL career will be, if he's able to make the Canucks at some point, what his role will be, all of that. That's still, you know, that that's going to depend on a lot of different factors, and we don't know any of that yet. But just the fact already that you have a prospect who has kind of outplayed his draft slot to that degree is a huge win for the Canucks. And when you look at this team's future and how their salary cap is going to set up, and we all know, you know, the big storyline in that regard are, are the mega deals that are coming for Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes at some point in the near future here, getting as many of these late round prospects to develop into NHL players is going to be absolutely crucial. And I think the important thing to remember is we always focus, and we were t- we started off the show talking about Vasily Podkolzin today, we always focus on the high-end guys and, okay, can this guy be a top six? Can he, can he score 30 goals a year? Yeah, you need those guys coming through the prospect pipeline. That's not what Aiden McDonough is going to be. Probably not. But if he, if Aiden McDonough can play on your third line and give you really solid minutes and score 10 goals a year for you, as a seventh-round draft pick, I mean, that's basically hitting the lottery. You are over the moon if that can happen, and that's exactly what the Canucks need to happen from some of these late-round prospects here going forward. Well, and it's, it's interesting because you kind of look at everything at the conversations that we're having, and it's almost a bit contradictory of just even what we're saying of okay our top six is fine it's that's not the issue we're looking at the bottom six and what we need to fill out there but then when we're looking at bringing guys in or guys that are being developed and brought up in the system you kind of do look oh well can they be a second line winger and everything but that's not necessarily what they need right now so I think it is good to take a step back and to look at the pattern like you talked about of drafting these guys late and finding these kind of hidden gems and you're right they don't always work out a lot of times a seventh round draft pick can be a total wash but oftentimes it's not and that's what's cool is seeing the guys that have the potential that who knows if he yeah like you said if he slots somewhere into the third line where that's exactly what we're talking about in different conversations that the Canucks need right now so it's like we almost need to take these two puzzle pieces and put them together and say this can all be okay guys (laughs) yeah And, and it's funny because you'll see you know when a prospect evaluator is talking about a guy like Aiden McDonough and they might say something, you know, he has uh, he has third line upside or bottom six upside in the NHL. And, mm-hmm. and and fans might get 
put off by that and say, oh, well, you're you're underrating him. That's really harsh. It's, no, it's not harsh, actually. Being a, being a consistent third-line player in the NHL is extremely difficult. And guess what? Teams really badly need those guys. And we've seen here in Vancouver, if you're not developing those guys internally and you have to go out to the free agent market, guess what? They're expensive. And all of a sudden, you're paying a lot of money to guys in your bottom six. So it, it's easy to kind of, as I said, scoff at the notion that, oh, you know, this guy might uh, might score 10 goals a year for us as our ninth forward. That's not very exciting. But, man, if you can get that guy for cheap, it just frees up so many other resources for you to help your team uh, elsewhere. So, I, I, you know, yeah, look, I get it. We're always going to pay more attention to the Pod Colsons and the Hoglanders and the people drafted in the first two rounds. I understand it. But getting a potential third line player in the seventh round who, who who's immediately improves their draft stock after you after you draft them. That's a home run right there. It totally is. And the thing is, is we're setting this hypothetical ceiling right now in this conversation. It could be so much higher than that. We don't even yep. know that yet. That's what's so cool about all of this is we're saying that as if he doesn't have the potential, which he totally might, along with a bunch of other prospects in the system. And that's what's so cool. And I just I'm consistently impressed by the Canucks system as a whole, how they are drafting and developing these players. Because, yeah, we see the Pedersons of the world, who we were all super excited about, but then you're still looking at it going, how did a handful of teams pass on him? But they saw their gem and they went with it and it's worked out swimmingly. But, yeah, the organization the last few years, I've just been more and more impressed every year. And uh, you heard you heard Aiden McDonough reference a couple a couple of the Canucks you know young development uh, personnel player development personnel there Chris Higgins who was just promoted to a, a skills and development role as well uh, and also Ryan Johnson who does a lot of work with the Canucks prospects and and also with the Utica Comets and you know again just uh, you heard you heard Aiden McDonough talk about okay he can see Adam Gaudet who's followed a similar path playing in college coming from Massachusetts and then uh, and then establishing himself in the NHL well even a guy like Chris Higgins you know he's from the eastern united states he's from new york he went to he went to the uh, NCAA route playing at Yale and then he had a long NHL career and again it, it just that pipeline that the Canucks are building from the NCAA to the pros, it's not just, it doesn't seem to be just a one-off thing for them, right? They have invested Mm -hmm. heavily in that, in making sure that they are able to shepherd these guys from the college ranks to the professional ranks. It's paying off already with the likes of Adam Gaudet. We'll see with Jack Rathbone this year. You know, Brock Besser, obviously another example of that. Uh, And hopefully with guys like Aiden McDonough, it continues to pay off in the future. It's uh, the starting lineup here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Katie Caldwell filling in for Perry and Seaball this week. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. We will continue breaking down Vasily Podkolzin's big night at the World Juniors a little bit later in the show. And Elliot Friedman was on the station uh, last night, as he is every Tuesday with Satyar Shah and Bik Nazar on the program this week. He had some interesting comments about how the Canucks stack up in the Canadian division. We'll get into that next. You're listening to the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. This is the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650.
Welcome back to the show. Starting lineup here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd and Katie Caldwell filling in for Perry and Seaball for the week. They'll be back in the new year. Once Canucks training camp is underway, they'll have you all set from 6 till 9, as they always do, right here in your home of the Canucks. And uh, last night, Katie, on the program, Elliot Friedman made his weekly visit, this time with uh, Bick Nazar and Satyar Shah with Andrew Walker off this week. And, you know, uh, not surprisingly, they got into the uh, the discussion similar to what we were having yesterday, right? About how the Canucks stack up in the, the Canadian, the North division. What are their chances of winning? What are their chances of making the playoffs? And, and, and you know, they were talking in part about just how how close that division could be, right? And the fact that virtually, well, no, not virtually, every team, in fact, has flaws. Every team could make a case for for making the playoffs with the possible exception of Ottawa. And you could you could pick holes in the roster for every team as well. And one of the interesting comments that I thought Elliot Friedman made was about where the Canucks stand. And it was it was in the context of a discussion about Will ownership spend more money on this team? But he also included some really interesting comments about two of the Canucks' best players. Here's what Elliot Friedman had to say. If you want to make an argument to me that Pedersen's the best player in the Canadian division, okay, I'm willing to listen to your argument. Um, well, if, you want to make an, if you want to make an argument to me that Hughes is the best defenseman in the Canadian division, okay, I'm willing to listen to that argument. I know you're not crazy about your third pair right now, but I, I and I know you're not crazy about some of the salaries being paid to your depth forwards, but you guys got a lot of forwards. And a lot like in this, like last year, those playoffs, those were a grind physically and mentally. And yeah, you, you guys ran out of steam against Vegas and they blew you off the ice in the last three games. But up until that point, you guys played pretty hard. Really hard. And in a short season, yeah, you guys are going to have your weaknesses, but so is everybody else. And you guys proved to me that you played pretty hard. I don't know. Like To me, a lot of it's on Demko. He's going to be – you have Holtby there, who's a great uh, – it was a great insurance policy, but – like, I, I look at you guys, and I know you look at the holes, because that's what we do in Canada. We always take the – we always look at the bad over the good when it comes to hockey. But, and I, I know you're sitting there saying, I wish we could add someone else. And I think if you could add Hamannick, I think that would be great for you. I do. But, like, I, I don't think you guys are that bad. I don't. I think you guys could win this division. So there's a lot going on there from Elliot Friedman, and we'll unpack it a little bit as the show continues. And you heard him just say at the end there that he thinks the Canucks have a legitimate shot to win the division. But the the really interesting stuff uh, in that clip came right at the beginning, I thought, when he made a, a pretty spicy claim about Elias Pettersson. He he did, and and... Here's okay. So he said he's willing to listen to yeah. that argument. Didn't, and didn't, yeah, let's be clear. He didn't say Patterson is the best player in the Canadian division, but yeah. he said he'd be willing to listen to the argument. He also said he'd be willing to listen if you said Quinn Hughes is the best D man. Yeah, the difference for me with those is 
With Pedersen, I'm also willing to listen to it. I still think as long as Connor McDavid is in the division, there's too big of a jump for me. For me, I'm willing to listen with Pedersen, but for Quinn Hughes, I'm ready to not just listen. I'm ready to make that argument. That's the big difference for me in in what he was saying about that. Because, yeah, he said the same thing with Hughes, that he's ready to listen to that as well. That one, I'm kind of done listening, and I'm just saying he's the best in the, in, in the division. But, yeah, the Pedersen... The Pedersen note was really interesting because I liked what he said about we always look at the holes, the bad over the good or whichever, but it kind of does bring you back down to earth where you're going, oh, yeah, right. We do have Quinn Hughes and Elias Pedersen. And it's easy. And he said, that's what we do in Canada. And it's what we do. It's what our job is, Jamie, is to talk about that holes and how things can be improved or whichever. But it is kind of cool to hear that from someone who's an outside perspective to this market, but still very, very dialed in, obviously. It is interesting to hear him say that. The um, the Elias Pettersson argument, because I'm with you. Quinn Hughes, I, uh, I'm i taking, if you, if you give me the choice of any defenseman in the Canadian division, I'm taking Quinn Hughes. And I know there'll be people there who argue for, you know, Shea Weber, Morgan Riley, Thomas Shabbat. No, I'm taking Quinn Hughes. I, I, to be honest, I don't think it's particularly close. And I think the only reason you're going somewhere else is if you're just kind of inherently biased against young players, and and you'd always prefer a veteran like Shea Weber or something. But if you just look at their on ice, their on ice results, it's clearly Quinn Hughes for me. the The Elias Pettersson one is so interesting because you know we had this discussion a little bit yesterday, Katie, with how you balance production in terms of points with with actual impact and actual uh value on the ice and Mm -hmm. i I know there will be people who who will make the argument and and who have made the argument that you know look Connor mcdavid yeah he he racks up points every year and he he uh he's always in the art ross conversation and that's great but his defensive game is so lacking that actually it does bring him back to the pack a little bit in terms of value. And the flip side of that is, is of course, that Elias Pettersson, we know, has an extremely well-developed defensive game and is a major two-way impact player. I get that argument. I still think you just look at the production gap and it's too much. It's too big of a divide for me to fully get on board with having a serious discussion right now, and maybe things change in in six months, but right now, I'm not sure I can get on board of having a discussion of, is Elias Pettersson better than Connor McDavid? And again, I know there's a lot more to to being a valuable NHL player than just putting up points, but points matter. Points are important, and (laughs) Connor McDavid's pretty good at that. Well, I like what you've said about right now, Jamie, and that's what I want to focus on, because in terms of potential for the upcoming season... That's where I have even more time to listen to that argument because in this exact moment, you're right. I think McDavid is just way too far ahead under every circumstance. But the exciting thing for Canucks fans is that Pedersen, it seems like he's just going to keep getting better and better and better, which is almost hard for me to fathom. But you've seen the skill. It's obvious. And he's got this this undeniable sense of maturity, of leadership. And you see how bad he wants to not just win for the team, but constantly improve his own game. And it just seems like every year he's going to keep showing up and impressing us in ways that we couldn't even imagine. And that's where McDavid is someone that he continues to impress me as well. But I just feel like in terms of how much more they potentially have to grow, that's where I see Pedersen because he's already so well-rounded and getting better in every single way, it seems 
that's where this is a conversation that I think it should be revisited and will at the end of the season because yes, right now, like we talked about, I'll listen to it. I still, I have too many questions for it, but yeah, that's being right now in, in terms of potential for the season upcoming, this could look so different come playoff time. It's definitely possible. And you're right to say, look, it, it's kind of funny because Connor McDavid, I mean, he's only, he's just about to turn 24. He'll turn 24 in January. So he's still a young player. But we also know that in this day and age in the NHL, you know, guys often have their best point producing season relatively early in their career. So it's possible that we've already seen the best offensive season of Connor McDavid's career. I wouldn't put money on that necessarily, but it's it's certainly a possibility. With Elias Pettersson, his first two years in the NHL, he's put up, you know, freakishly similar numbers. He had 66 points in 71 games his rookie year, 66 and 68 last year. It does feel like at some point in the next year or two here, we will get a kind of point explosion season out of Elias Patterson. And, you know, I know it's a 56-game schedule this year, so it's a little hard to talk about specific numbers, but, you know, something like a, on a 100, 105-point pace on an 82-game season. Like, I think that is in the cards for Elias Pettersson. And let's say that happens this year. Well, yeah, then you absolutely have to put him in the conversation with the best players in this Canadian division because he does match up. Uh, you know, he does combine the elite production with the elite two-way impact in a way that, you know, for example, Connor McDavid yeah, and Leon Dreisaitl yeah. don't. Now, <laughs> the the really interesting aspect of this discussion, Katie, is, okay, we're focusing it on Connor McDavid versus Elias Pettersson. Of course, you also have Leon Dreisaitl, who, who just won the Hart Trophy. Same, similar questions about his defensive impact, but uh, an extremely accomplished player. I know Canucks fans don't want to hear it, but the other guy that probably should be in the conversation ahead of Elias Pettersson is Austin Matthews, who has that same combination of elite goal scorer and a very good two-way player. Exactly. And I think with him, it's almost a bit of a Patrick Mahomes situation where you don't want to put him in the conversation because we've been there so many times. And and I think a lot of us in Canada are triggered by the Toronto. Yep hockey scene and and that's very real that we need to talk about where we don't want to say we didn't want him to turn into what he was and be as good and score four goals in his first game and all of that because it's Toronto but he is he is a pure goal scorer and you're right he's he's so well-rounded and he's got that two-way game that as of right now I would put him slightly ahead of Pedersen it doesn't feel comfortable to do being in the Vancouver (laughs) (laughs) but it's just it's just how I would put him right now. And like I said, I think at the end of the season, this could be completely different. But yeah, you're right. I don't think Canucks fans want to hear it. But Austin Matthews does have to be put in that conversation for sure. And like you said, Leon Dreisaitl as well. The way he was able to drive that line without McDavid was unforgettable. Oh, it was it was an incredible performance. And yeah, I, I uh, if, if you... Um... If you put me on the spot and I had to choose right now, I'd probably have Elias Pettersson fourth in the division after McDavid, Dreisaitl, and Austin Matthews. But it's close. It's Ooh. it's it's closer than uh, than I think a lot of people. You know, you just hear it right off. You hear it from Friedman, and you say, "Whoa, whoa, wow!" He thinks he's the best player, and it seems a little outrageous. But you know, you start to dig into it a little bit. It's maybe not quite as crazy as it seems 
uh, at first blush. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line if you want to get in on this conversation. Is Elias Patterson the best player in the Canadian division? Is Quinn Hughes the best defenseman in the Canadian division? Hit us up, 650-650. We will continue that conversation next. It's the starting lineup here in the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Welcome to the good life. Oh. Now more of the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. And after all the talk, all I gotta say is What's going on? Welcome back. Starting lineup here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd and Katie Caldwell with you. Uh, very excited at the uh, at the top of the hour here, just after 7 o'clock. Hockey Hall of Famer, hockey legend Scott Niedermeyer is going to join the program. I'm really looking forward to that conversation, Katie. I know you are as well. You you uh, both have roots in the Cranbrook area, so uh, that's going to be a fun one. I am so, so excited. Yeah, he's such, him and Rob, they're both such important members of our community here that that's what I grew up doing. And it's funny to take a step back and go, oh, yeah, he's also maybe the best defenseman in history. <laughs> yeah. Because we talked about it before the show, Jamie, that he's won literally everything there is to win. And it's just it's just astounding because he's such a wonderful person. and He's so humble and he gives back so much. So does Rob, too. They're just... Yeah, what a snag to get Scott on the show today. I couldn't be more excited. Yeah, big shout out to Chris Faber producing the show here at the uh, Sportsnet 650 studios today. Really looking forward to that chat. And yeah, Scott Niedermeyer's Hockey DB page and his, his Wikipedia page is just, uh, <laughs> it, it is outrageous how many trophies like a book. <laughs> he won over the course of his career. It's just, it's absolutely uh, unbelievable almost. Uh, it's it's the starting lineup here at Sportsnet 650. Stay tuned for Scott Niedermeyer coming up in about 15 minutes here. But just before the break, Katie, we were having the conversation about where Pedersen and, and Quinn Hughes stack up amongst their peers in the Canadian division. This text comes in unsigned. Pedersen needs another good line mate like Miller uh, to have an 100-point season, 100 point season over 82 games. If he does that, then he is the best in division. Right now, I would put him third best ahead of Austin Matthews. And again, okay, look, I don't want to come on Vancouver Radio and be the guy who capes for Austin Matthews, okay? Like, that's not what I'm looking to do <laughs> with my career. But I just, I just think we also have to kind of take a step back and appreciate Austin Matthews' goal-scoring record in the NHL. Like, it's, it's, he's been in the year, he's been in the league four years, right? His rookie year, 40 goals in 82 games. Next year, 34 goals in 62 games, 37 goals in 68, and then last year was on just a ridiculous pace, 47 goals in 70 games. Like, this guy can fill the net, and it's not a Patrick Line situation where he doesn't bring anything else to your team. He's also a two-way impact <laughs> player. Fired. So, if look, okay, I'm not saying Austin Matthews is the best player in the Canadian division or whatever, but... If you're going to make the case for anyone over Elias Pettersson, I, I, I would I would maybe make it Austin Matthews just because he has that goal-scoring prowess and he adds two-way impact to his game as well. And again, look, I don't know. I don't know why I'm going so hard on this. I don't want to be that guy, but... <laughs> I just think we gotta, we gotta. You can, you can have your fun taking shots at Leafs fans without losing touch with reality. And the reality is, Austin Matthews, a very, very good player. Jamie, you're totally being that guy. Right I don't now. know. I don't know what's going on here. It's too early <laughs> in the morning. No, I think you're absolutely right that we do need to 
to take a look at that and step back and, and like I said earlier, like lose a bit of our collective Toronto bias as a country anywhere outside of Toronto. And hey, I've lived and worked in that Toronto media world, so I fully understand it because I kept a lot of my BC attitude when I was there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I like that text, though. I think it makes a really good point about just the guys surrounding PD because we do talk so much about him. But we do also need to bring into the conversation how he impacts other players and then how those other players do impact him. So, yeah. Jamie, can we just get hockey going already? Let's do it. <laughs> let's let's do it, man. We're so close. We are so, so close, Katie. It's going to happen soon. But you're right. It's a good, it's an important point to remember. You know, these guys don't put up numbers in a vacuum. You know, like Connor McDavid right. and and, and uh, Leon Dreisaitl, they frequently have the benefit of playing together on the power play. That, that helps them rack up points with the man advantage, right? And with Elias Pettersson, yeah, he, he helped elevate JT Miller's game last year. JT Miller did the same for Elias Pettersson. And mm -hmm. what could really take that line to a different level this year and, and potentially help Elias Pettersson raise his stock around the league is if we get the kind of breakout year in terms of goal scoring from Brock Besser that we're waiting to see, right? right. That, that, I think, is what a lot of Canucks fans are waiting for. And that's something that could help push Pettersson's production to another level entirely. Where do you see him finishing this year, Besser? Like, do you see this being the big breakout year that we're all hoping for? Where are you at with that? I, um, I'm i a big fan of Brock Besser's game. And I think mm -hmm. he has more potential. Like, I don't think he's reached his potential as a goal scorer yet. I think the last couple of years have, about him, have, have been about him developing the rest of his game and doing a really good job with that. Right. I, I Look, I, like every Canucks fan, yeah, I would love to see him also continue to grow as a sniper, right? And grow as and grow into one of the most dangerous goal scorers in the NHL. I think he has that potential, but yeah, I mean over a 56 game season, if we saw I wouldn't be shocked if we saw 30 goals from Brock Besser, you know, knock on wood with health and all of that, but if he continues to get the opportunities to play with Elias Pettersson to be on the top power play, mm -hmm. he has the talent to put up that kind of a season at some point. Well, and man, like what JT Miller has brought to not just the team but that line, like the three of them together, it's just, I can't take my eyes off. <laughs> the lotto line is just something that I hope we keep together for the rest of time. It uh, it tilts the ice uh, every time it's out there. It's it's actually remarkable to see how, how consistently they get set up in the offensive zone, how consistently they generate chances for the team. They are, they're one of the treats to watch in the NHL. They should be again this year. Uh, this line... Uh, this, this text message message comes in the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line. If the Horvat Pearson Vertanen line can step up to the lotto line, should get more space and PD can hit a hundred plus points. Go Canucks go. That's from Sean from Waterloo. And yeah, of course, depth scoring helps as well. I don't know that there's any universe where teams start paying more attention to the second line when the Canucks first line is stacked the way it is. But yeah, every bit of depth scoring you can add. It helps the other players on the team as well produce. You know, just bringing in more talent mm -hmm. is going to lead to more production. That's kind of kind of how it works. Well, and if they do enough that you don't have to break up the first line, too. That's all I'm kind of looking for is for them to hold their own enough that they don't need to break up the lotto line. Yeah, that you don't feel the need to put Brock Besser on down with Bo Horvat, for example. With Horvat, exactly. Yeah, yeah that's a really good point. best friends that anybody could have. <laughs> 
That is exactly what the lotto line is. Hopefully they have another fantastic year for the Canucks. Uh, really looking forward to this. Hockey Hall of Famer, Cranbrook, BC native, Scott Niedermeyer is going to join us next. We'll get his thoughts on Quinn Hughes, on the World Juniors, on Bowen Byram, and a whole lot more. That's coming up next. It's the starting lineup here on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Let's get it going. It's time to get up. Baines caught the pass from Lowry, unable to finish in traffic. And the ball game ends with the Philadelphia 76ers coming back to beat the Raptors 193 the final. These guys are here to break it all down. It's hard to get any word in with this clown. Let's have a little fun and make you a winner. The Vancouver Canucks draft from St. Petersburg of the KHL. This is the starting lineup with James Zabolski and Perry Solkowski. What is going on? Welcome back to the starting lineup here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd and Katie Caldwell in for the week in place of James Zabolski and Perry Solkowski. They will be back next week. Very, very excited. Uh, to be joined just momentarily here by Hockey Hall of Famer, the pride of Cranbrook, Scott Niedermeyer, is going to join us for a chat. And, yeah, no shortage of topics to get into with Scott Niedermeyer, Katie, you know, given that Bowen Byram, of course, also from Cranbrook, is having extremely impressive World Juniors. We've been talking a little Quinn Hughes here this morning. And just in general, I mean, the crop of young, exciting NHL defensemen and NHL-ready defensemen right now is uh, is maybe as exciting as it's ever been. Man, there's something about BC in general that just seems to pump out elite level defensemen. But yeah, the Kootenai region in general on its own, it's just astounding how and as soon as uh, we started to see Bowen Byron play in any capacity, we've probably both seen him in the dub quite a few times. There were the comparisons to Scott Niedemeyer almost immediately. And those are some pretty good uh, footsteps you want to be following in. (laughs) And we are now very, very pleased to be joined by Hockey Hall of Famer, longtime NHL player, uh, Cranbrook native, Scott Niedermeyer. Scott, thanks very much for making some time for us here. How are you? No, I'm doing well. Morning. Thank you. Yeah, good morning. And uh, how have, uh, how's the holiday season been so far for you and your family? Uh, it's been good. Uh, we've had our, our whole family together, our four boys, and um, just kind of laying low like most other people and uh, getting some time to, to catch up. So it's been good. Yeah, it's been, uh, I think it's been that way for a lot of people. And, you know, just 2020 has been about trying to find the silver linings and look on the bright side and that family time you're talking about. I think that's been the case uh, for a lot of our listeners as well. And I know something else that a lot of our listeners are doing is is watching the World Junior Tournament right now. And we've been talking a lot about how impressive Bowen Byram has been at this tournament and, of course, in his junior career in general. How how does it feel for you watching another young, highly skilled defenseman from Cranbrook have have so much success on this stage uh, yeah it's, it's great um, you know it uh, Cranbrook is a small town and, and we take a lot of pride in uh, in everything that that comes from there or the people that live there for sure and uh, you know for for Bowen to be doing as well as he had in his career so far is is exciting for everybody there um, you know I think there's a lot of younger kids in Cranbrook that probably don't even know who I am so it's it's uh, it's kind of nice that they now have a a player that they can watch and watch on TSN over the holidays here during the World Juniors and kind of say you know what he he grew up right here where I'm from so it's uh, it's really neat to see. 
As a native of the Kootenays myself, Scott, I can promise you that everyone ages three and up has definitely heard of you. <laughs> but there was a string of, I think, about seven or eight years in a row, the cup made its way to Cranbrook. What is it about a small town in the Kootenays that's consistently producing such elite level talent, especially on defense? Yeah, I mean, I think back when I was young, um, there was a lot of sort of older, retired hockey players that had played men's senior hockey at a pretty high level or different places, um, some even in the NHL for short periods of time that were living back in Cranbrook um, and that were coaching and that were part of sort of the, the hockey scene. There. I think we, we definitely benefited from that. Um, we didn't have, you know, there was no lacrosse. There weren't some other options as there is in maybe the big cities or bigger towns. Um, so maybe that was part of it too, where most of us that lived in Cranbrook, if we wanted to play sports, hockey was, was what we did in the, in the winter. Yeah. I, turns out I wasn't good at hockey, so I did not play any other sports because you're right. The options were pretty (laughs) limited here. Uh, but as long as we've seen Byron play, we've heard the comparisons to you as a player. What are your impressions of Byron's game so far in his career? Yeah. I mean, I, I would agree. I, I think the reality is there's probably way more players that, that play to the sort of similar way I did and other guys um, now that, than there were when I was playing. We were sort of the, the exception a little bit back then. Every team maybe had one or two guys that, that could skate and, and wanted to join the offense. And then they had the rest of the crew back there was big and bruising and wanted to make it difficult on, on the, the other team's offense. Whereas now you look at it and there's five or six defensemen that have the skill and, and skating ability um, these days. And uh, obviously Bowen is, is amazing at it. I mean, we've been watching the world juniors, like you said, just like everybody else. And, um, I mean, watching that whole team, the skill level, but, but especially him, just the way he plays with the puck and decisions he make, they, they're a little different. He, he sort of sees the game differently than, than most players, I would say. And I think that's one of his strengths as well as his skating. And, and Scott, you know, you had a very successful junior career, obviously, and then you you were able to transition very successfully uh, into the NHL after your junior career finished. For for an elite player like Bowen Byron, who's had so much success at the junior level here in the WHL and also on the international stage, what's going to be the most difficult part of transitioning to being a full time NHL player? Um, I, I'm sure it's it's changed a, a bit, um, but I know for me there was a lot to be learned on the defensive sort of side of the, the puck. Um, you know, we, I don't, I think these players now are, are coached at a much higher level. Um, they have a better understanding of the game at this age than I think we did when I was in the teen as a teenager still. Um, so I think they're probably a little more prepared for it, but I know when I got there, um, there was a lot of bumps in the road as to, you know, when to join the attack and when to make those decisions to take chances and, um, so that was something that I had to figure you're playing now against, obviously not just the best players, your age in the world, but just the best players period in the world. And they, they make you pay for mistakes that you make. Um, so to me, that would probably be the big thing that I found anyway, was, uh, just learning to make better decisions and, and be more responsibly, uh, be, be more responsible defensively. In conversation with hockey hall of famer, Scott Niedermeyer here on the starting lineup Sportsnet. 650 and you know there's been uh there's been a crop of young defensemen in recent years here in the nhl uh, at the nhl level who've had immediate success in their careers and 
you know, certainly in Vancouver, we saw it with Quinn Hughes last year, Kale McCarr, Miro Heiskanen. Why do you think it is that these young, highly skilled defensemen are able to to come in now and just immediately excel at the NHL level? Yeah, I I think I mentioned it uh, briefly, just that I think they are are, are better prepared. I, I just think they've gone through more sort of intensive coaching. They do more video work. Um, you know, so maybe those areas of their game that back when I played were, were weaker or I hadn't spent much time worrying about um, – you know, they've been coached right from their minor hockey days, um, watching video, um, you know, coaching has gotten better. So I think even at the younger ages, those coaches understand the game and are teaching all aspects of it. Um, and probably just also the nature of the game has changed so much. Um, you know, you really do have to rely on your mobility and getting around the ice skating. And obviously when you're, when you're a young kid, uh, that's, that's not a problem getting around the ice. That, that's what you can do. And that's, sort of what it takes to succeed in this game, no matter what age you are, young or old now, it's a, it's a fast game that you have to play with pace all the time. So Scott, I'm curious about your thoughts on the new Canadian division for this season. We posed this question to Todd Bertuzzi on the show yesterday, and he had a pretty interesting answer. How would you have felt in your playing days, playing the same teams, especially being Canadian teams, so many times in the same season? It's different for sure. I, I think my first year, we actually played Pittsburgh nine times. So I kind of, you know, it does get, especially when Pittsburgh was quite good that at that point. It got a little old uh, um, playing them that many times for sure. Um, but I, I, as a fan, I'm I'm excited. I mean, you know, you look at some of the, the good young teams out West here, it should make for some really entertaining, fun hockey to watch. Um, as the same can be said for out east. So I, I would expect it to be a pretty good division. It's, you know, for fans here, they're more familiar probably with the Canadian teams and the players on there. So it just might be more interesting. So I, uh, you know, considering everything that's gone on, I, I'm kind of excited to, to see how it goes. Something different, uh, you know, is worth a try, I think, for sure. And Scott, I mentioned uh, uh, Quinn Hughes a little bit earlier in the interview. You know, what, what stands out specifically? I'm not sure how much you've had a chance to watch him at the NHL level, but, you know, I, I, he draws obviously comparisons to, to the other young elite defensemen in the NHL right now. But when you watch Quinn Hughes play, what specifically stands out about his game for you? Uh, I, I think it would sort of be his decisions with the puck, his creativity. Um you know, again, he, he seems to be willing to try or, or he's capable of doing different things than a lot of players. Um, you know, being out West here, I, I have watched the Canucks play a fair bit and uh, it is pretty entertaining when, when they get to overtime and, and uh, yep. those, those guys are on the ice. It's a uh, must-watch TV for sure. Um, but yeah, I just think his creativity, obviously with his skill in skating, which is, you know, as good as anybody's, but um, very creative and, and very willing um to try things and uh you know i think that speaks to the way the game's played now the forwards understand defensemen are going to be involved and maybe they have to look to to cover and, and sort of play more as a group of five um and so it makes for for fun hockey for defensemen it, it looks like a lot of fun for those guys to go out there and and sort of be part of the offense like they are and, and play the game the way they are 
Is it is it more fun for you to watch the game now, Scott? Because as you said, you were a bit of a, a bit of a trailblazer in this regard, right? You were you were more unique when you played in that in that you had the skill and the skating ability to join the rush, and now it's much more common. Do you like seeing that become as widespread as it has, where now every team has it seems like multiple defensemen who can join the rush and make plays with the puck? Um, yeah, I, I, I do. I, I really do enjoy watching the game. I, I think if there's any little complaint I have, and it's really a small one is, you know, back sort of when, when I was starting and playing, you, you really had a lot of different styles of players that could have success. Um, you know, some big guys that maybe were really skilled with their hands, didn't skate as well, but they could make a living around the net scoring goals and, and having success that way. Um, you had some smaller players that found a way to do it in a real physical brand of hockey. Um, now I find when you watch the game, it, every player, it's, it's quite similar in how they play. Um, obviously, talent levels are a little different, but they can all skate quite well. They all handle the puck quite well. Um, it does make for a fast-paced, high-quality game of hockey, but it sort of lacks sort of that different, uh, different take from different players. And um, I, I enjoyed that. I guess maybe I'm just thinking back to what it was like when I played and just understanding these guys had success in different ways. But other than that, I really do love watching the game. And the skill level is amazing. Even these world juniors, I mean, you watch, even watch Austria, you watch some of those teams, their skill level obviously isn't as high as Canada's overall, but there are some players on, on those teams that can skate and, and play hockey as well. So it's, it's neat to see. I think it'll definitely be a juniors to remember for a multitude of reasons. But Scott, last question here for you, and then we'll let you on your way. Uh, you have sons who play junior hockey here in BC. Their seasons haven't started yet, um, obviously, with all the circumstances. What's that experience been like? Yeah, it, you know, that's, that's sort of through with this whole thing. I, I've felt very fortunate, you know, not to be in the middle of it as a player. Um, you know, it, uh, you know, the NHL find, found a way to sort of complete their season, which was great. Um, but for, for young kids, you know, and not even necessarily hockey players, but teenage athletes, teenage kids in general that are graduating or going through unique moments of their life, I've, I've sort of felt for them. Um, you know, it's been, been difficult. These are moments that you really don't get too many tries at. And, um, you know, we're obviously hoping that maybe things can get a little better and they can put a little bit of a, a season together here in the spring, maybe if if things get better, they were able to play some exhibition sort of tournament uh, back in the fall. They I think they ended up playing 14 games. So that I thought that was great and a success that uh, the BCHL was able to put something like that together. Obviously things are quiet now, but hopefully maybe in another short period of time, they can do that again. So just hoping they can play and continue to improve and, and have fun. I mean, ultimately I think back to my junior days and the fun we had traveling together as a group of, teammates and playing hockey and winning and losing and doing all that stuff you just want to see you you know kids have that that opportunity and and scott just before we let you go here you know you mentioned earlier in the interview in your rookie year you played the penguins you were with the devils you played the penguins nine times and you mentioned how how talented that penguins team was and just to give people a little refresher i I looked it up quickly of course mario lemieux kevin stevens on that team rick talk ron francis yarmer yager larry murphy so that's that's about as stacked a group as you can get i can imagine that that must have been quite the education for a a rookie defenseman do you have a a particular moment that stands out for you a kind of holy cow i'm in the nhl moment now going up against a group loaded like that 
Yeah, no, it, uh, they, they were obviously a, a powerhouse offensively. Um, you know, and as a defenseman, you're just out there, you know, it, at times you felt like you were just flail, flailing away, trying to like, what do I do to stop these guys? Because the last time I did this and they scored, <laughs> so I tried something different and they still scored. And um, it sort of was, was futile almost in trying, in trying to stop them. But it was a lot of fun. I mean, I when Lemieux kind of first got into the league, I just was a huge fan, just his skill and the talent he had and things he did on the ice, I, I thought were really fun to watch. Um, so then shortly to get a chance to play against him, it, it is a surreal experience. I'm sure every player that all of a sudden finds himself in an NHL jersey on the ice playing against players they used to watch on TV have the same thing. It's, it's a pretty crazy moment um, for sure. Uh, well, Scott, we really uh, we really appreciate the time. And by the way, that team was coached by Scotty Bowman, so pretty pretty good outfit overall <laughs> for the Pittsburgh Penguins that year. Uh, Scott, we really appreciate that you taking the time to chat with us today. We love to hear your thoughts about Bowman Byram and the other young defensemen. Enjoy the rest of the holiday season and enjoy the rest of the World Juniors here with your family. Okay. Thanks a lot. Have a good day. There he is. That is hockey Hall of Famer, longtime NHL. Uh, defenseman, of course, as as we said earlier, one of the most decorated players in hockey history, Scott Niedermeyer, Niedermeyer joining us here on the starting lineup. And yeah, I, I had to run to the hockey DB page there for the, uh, that would be the 1992-1993 Pittsburgh Penguins, wow. Katie. And you know, okay, you think of the Penguins of that that vintage, and obviously Yager and Lemieux pop immediately to mind. But mm-hmm. yeah, Kevin Stevens, over 100 points. Rick Tockett, over 100 points. Ron Francis, wow. 100 points. Just uh, an absolute embarrassment of riches for that team. And I can only imagine the experience of being a rookie defenseman straight out of the WHL, standing there on the blue line, looking at those guys uh, coming at you. It was re- really fun to hear uh, some of the, some of the Scott Niedermeyer's memories from his early, early days in the NHL. Oh, definitely. And I had a moment where I had to mute my mic when he said, I don't think kids in Cranbrook would even know who I am. I'm thinking, <laughs> okay, Scott. But yeah, just so much cool insight from him. Because like we said before we introduced him, he's just the best of the best. And yeah, as a player, as a leader, just someone who shows up. And it's just, it's so nice that we were able to chat with him today. I'm so grateful for that. Yeah, and you could you could sense the pride uh, when he was talking about Bowen Byram coming out of Cranbrook, and mm-hmm. you know you you're obviously you're from that community. You know what it means to them, and how important hockey is to that community, and how cool it must be to see another you know, and a, and a, a, again a guy who plays in a very similar style to him, right, with the exceptional skating mm-hmm. ability, the offensive mind, and I can only imagine you know the the hype in Cranbrook for Bowen Byram right now must be off the charts. Off the charts, you're absolutely right. Because, yeah, you nailed it, Jamie. Being in such a small town, and our closest city is Spokane, Washington, so we are quite a secluded little area, but it's like a family, and especially in hockey, it's like a family. Like, I actually have a story about about Scott. My grandfather was sick. He was diagnosed with cancer and he was at home. They had brought a hospital bed in for him and he was just resting at home. And when Scott and Rob won the cup, I don't remember which time it was because <laughs> he wanted <laughs> you got a, bunch, a lot to choose from. Yeah. He, he brought the Stanley cup up to my grandfather's house in his bedroom while he was laying in bed and spent the afternoon with him and took photos. And it's just, they're those guys that there's such a deep part of the community. And it's like I said, to us here in the Kootenays, we almost forget how elite he is because they're so meaningful to us just as people and as members of the community. So I just like sharing the good about people because there's so much bad in the world. And he's just someone that 
just blows me away in every way imaginable. But yeah, special to our area, special to our family. And yeah, to see this coming up with Bo and Byram and Peyton Krebs as well. He's someone that he was playing for the Kootenai Ace before they were relocated. So there's quite a few hockey connections through Cranbrook. But yeah, it's just cool seeing guys come through here and then succeed. That's an incredible story uh, about Scott Niedermeyer and your grandfather. And that, you know, we talk so much. And I was glad we could just bring up uh, the junior hockey topic with Scott there towards the end as well. Because, you know, he has two sons involved who I believe were both due to play with the Penticton V's in the BCHL this year. Obviously, that season hasn't been able to get going. And, you know, you, you heard... You heard Scott say, look, I, I really, I just want them to have the same experience I had and, and to be able to mm-hmm. experience that camaraderie and that that thrill of playing with your buddies as a young guy, right? And and how important that is, how meaningful that is for the people involved in junior hockey. And as you mentioned, you know, it's, it's not just for the players that it's important. It's a community thing, especially here in BC, especially here in the small towns. It means so much to these communities to have these thriving hockey scenes and to have... Uh, the 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 locals be able to succeed at that level, and it's um you know that story really brings it home just how how deeply tied to the communities that these hockey players are. Exactly, and the one thing that he brought up that I think we can all really relate to right now, he's talking about his sons and how these are unique moments of your life that are being taken away, and I think that's something that all of us in different aspects of our life, but we're all experiencing that, and I think that's why it's cool to just have conversations like this and focus on things that are positive and exciting because it's really easy to just kind of step back and go, yeah, I am losing out on a lot of what's happening in my life right now. And you do, you do feel bad for the guys that even at the juniors, they should be experiencing all the big crowds and whichever, but I'm just still so grateful that we have hockey. We have these good things to at least focus on and, and just a bit of a distraction. It's been great. And just even having the World Juniors back this week has been really good. And we're, man, we are just days away from Canucks training camp. And you talk about a distraction and just the, the volume of hockey and exciting hockey between Canadian teams, Katie, that's coming at us is so exciting. It's going to be, I think it's going to actually feel a little overwhelming since we've gone so long without regular <laughs> hockey, regular, regular season hockey, right? And it, it might feel a little overwhelming, but I know I am absolutely amped for it. It's Sportsnet 650 here, the starting lineup, Jamie Dodd and Katie Caldwell in for Perry Sikowski and James Sabolski this week. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line, the smart alternative Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. And by the way, this hour of the starting lineup is brought to you by our friends at Dunbar Lumber. As mentioned, only a few days away from Canucks training camp getting going. Still lots of questions about this Canucks team, about how they'll line up, about whether there could be any more additions in store for the Canucks. We'll get into that coming up next right here in the starting lineup on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. This is the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to the show, the starting lineup here on Sportsnet 650. This hour of the show is brought to you by Dunbar Lumber, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. You can also join the conversation. 650-650 is our Dunbar Lumber text line. Text in if you've got thoughts about Canucks training camp, what you saw from Vasily Podkolzin 
last night at the World Juniors as well. I know plenty of Canucks fans breathe in a big sigh of relief uh, that he finally got in the score sheet in a big, big way in Team Russia's easy, easy victory against Austria last night. Two goals and an assist. Best uh, best, uh, best player on the ice for that game. Really not much of a debate about that one, Katie. And yeah, it's kind of funny because we can sit here and say, look, don't put too much stock in the World Juniors. It's one tournament. It's a snapshot of a player. It doesn't, it doesn't mean all that much in either direction. That's all true, but it's also just great to see a, a highly regarded prospect have a big night at this tournament. Well, and we can say that all we want. We can have the conversations with ourselves of don't put too much stock into this and it's just one game or it's just one tournament. But when you're in the moment, that's why we sign up for this. <laughs> like it, it is fun to get your hopes high or whichever, but it is good to take a step back and be realistic. But yeah, we've talked about it, Jamie. It's a roller coaster. All of this being a sports fan is a roller coaster, especially with prospects, because you never really know how they're going to turn out. It's not always transferable to the NHL, or sometimes they don't show well in the juniors, and then they become elite in the show. It's There's so many different ways that it can go, but the roller coaster of it is all a lot of fun, isn't it? Yeah, it's so funny because we put so much stock in being right as sports fans, you know, and, and <laughs> yes, for you, look, <laughs> for you and I, we're we're here on the radio, we're talking about it, we have a professional interest in being right, so I get it, but just as a fan, even, you know, there's so much, okay, we want to be, we want to be right on this prospect before everyone else, right, we want to declare them a bust before everyone else realizes it, or we want to declare them a sleeper and a success before everyone else is on it. And, okay, I, I understand that. Of course, you want to be right about things. But there's also just an element of, you know, I want to have fun following these mm-hmm. prospects. And part of that is, part of the fun is getting really invested when they do well or do poorly, right? And and getting worried when they do poorly. And, and being really happy when they have a big game. That's, that's just part of the fun of following these prospects. And I always find it interesting how different fans balance the, you know, the desire to be ahead of the curve and be right mm-hmm. or, versus some other people who just kind of say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to take this game by game, month by month with this prospect and I'm going to see where this roller coaster takes me. It's better to have loved and lost, Jamie. To have your hopes high and then yeah, have indeed. them be let down. <laughs> indeed. But yeah, I, t- I totally get it. And and it's fun if you're the one that that has the sleeper picks and all of those things. But it's when you're calling guys a bust, that's where I start to get a bit defensive because they're kids. And I think that's what we need to remember through all of this is they're so, so young. And sure, maybe they didn't have a great shift, a great game, a great tournament or whichever, but I do get a bit defensive of the young guys just because sometimes when you're 16 years old, like it's, oh, I mean, it's and wild. people can just be so hard on you and you think they don't see and hear that. Like, that's where I wish that we as hockey fans could kind of step back where you don't always have to be right. Sometimes it's cool to be respectful. I know that's not how we always operate as sports fans, but yeah, it, I don't love calling guys a bust so early, but yeah, it's all part of just being a sports fan and they're all interesting conversations regardless. Uh, I agree with you, but also sometimes it's cool to be respectful is like, that's one of the lamest things I've ever heard, Katie. I know. (laughs) As soon as I said it. But you're right. You're right. Invited back. (laughs) Debbie Downer. (laughs) Kids, sometimes it's cool to be respectful. (laughs) Guys, being respectful is cool, okay? Yeah. Yeah, as soon as it came out of my mouth, I'm shaking my head already. Hey, whatever. I'm I'm here for it. The point remains of let's ease off a little 
bit of calling these guys a bust after three games. That's what I should say. I get it. I get it. It's sports at 650. It's the starting lineup. Uh, Jamie Dodd, Katie Caldwell, and producing the show this week, doing a fantastic job lining up the program for us, is Chris Faber. And you'll know Chris Faber from Twitter, from Canucks Army, from the Canucks Conversation podcast. Does great, great work. Breaking down the Canucks podcast, pod, oh, excuse me, Canucks prospects <laughs> games, and want to bring go. Faber into the conversation now. Chris, what did you make of Pod Colson's big night at the World Juniors last night? Yeah, obviously, tons of scoring in the first period. You love to see that. I mean, this was a game that you know you, we've kind of expected Pod Colson to have a great tournament. Uh, you should kind of like over expect it. I don't know if that's even a word or a phrase to use, <laughs> but like you could kind of expect that against Austria. You saw it early in the first period, but like the best play that I saw was in that third period when he had four passes that set up scoring chances on one shift, one 30-second shift in the offensive zone, and he sets up four scoring chances on four separate passes. So that was they just were something elite that passes. Know. They weren't just regular passes. Each one of them you could gasp at. Yeah, absolutely. It was like four different parts of the ice. Like he had one from the left corner. He had one from behind the net. He came in from the point and sent one across to a defenseman. Like he really kind of just like showcased all of his playmaking ability on that play. And and that was excellent to see. And what what was I think demanded? Maybe not demanded, but hoped for from Canucks fans was that he was going to to step up and play like a first line player instead of that fourth line guy that we've seen in the KHL. And last night he did that, so it was a great performance all in all. I think. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting point, Faber, about playing like a first line player rather than a fourth line player. And one of the things to like about Vasily Podkolzin as a prospect is that he has so many different elements to his game, right? He, he is, he has such a high motor. He has such a nose for the puck. He's good on the four jack. He can do all of those things. And you almost forget. And I think maybe his coaches sometimes almost forget that. Oh wait, this guy's a sniper too. Oh wait, this guy's an elite playmaker. (laughs) He's got really good puck skills as well. He's not just a four checker. He's not just uh, a net front present. And it's interesting. You know, I can imagine as a player as well, when you have so many different tools in your toolbox, it, it can be a little difficult to focus on to say, okay, this is what I need to do tonight because you just have so many options available to you and so many different ways that you can impact the game on a nightly basis. Yeah, and I think you got Isn't to see that... a little bit of a oh, mix-up there. Yeah, sorry, I think you just saw a little bit of a mix-up on the power play as well because, you know, Larry Onoff in the first two games puts Pod Colson right in front of the net, um, switches it up a little bit last night. He goes with Pod Colson in the bumper position, as I like to call it. That was a nice little switch up because it gave him an opportunity to, though he didn't tip that puck in, you know, he was in front of the net on the double screen. It also opens up the opportunity for him to score from the slot, similar like to what we see with Bo Horvat for the Vancouver Canucks, right? So, yeah, it, it was great to see Pod Colson go off yesterday. Like, as a guy who's been following him and, and clipping him all year long, like, I was very happy for him. But I was like very, very happy for myself to like <laughs> finally have some actual production because everybody just sees the KHL numbers and is like, oh, he's a bust, right? You're so. like, finally a goal to clip instead of like a nice four check or something. Yeah. Absolutely. I love a good four check, but man, I love it. You love goal. a goal. You love a goal even more, though. No doubt about that. I also love how much the conversation has shifted in just 24 hours since our show yesterday, where we're sitting oh, here yeah. and we're going, guys, just hold on. It's okay. He'll show up on the score sheet. We promise he's doing stuff elsewhere. He's he's doing work in the defensive zone, the neutral zone. We're talking about all of that. And it's so funny today how we're sitting here going, he's got all of these amazing aspects to his game. It's like we almost forgot he could score goals. <laughs> I just love it. I love it so much because you saw the distinct shift on Twitter as well, where all of a sudden it's trending you're going okay 
we're all figuring it out now. Well, and that's the funny thing, too, is in, okay, obviously it was different last night, not just because he produced, he was also being used in different ways, but he also, he, he was doing a lot of the same things that he does on a regular basis, right? He's going hard to the net, he's creating turnovers on the forecheck, he, he's being really hard to play against. Those those elements were all still present, and he was just finally rewarded on the score sheet, which was really nice to see. Starting lineup here on Sportsnet 650, and while we're on the topic of Canucks prospects, we had a good chat right off the top of the show with Canucks prospect Aiden McDonough, who's playing college hockey at Northeastern University this year and got some of his thoughts about where his game is at, what he still needs to work on, what his goals for the rest of the season are. And again, Faber, I just wanted to bring you in, you know, as a seventh round prospect when he was drafted in 2019, not really on the radar for a lot of Canucks fans, but I think that's changed in the 18th month since he's been drafted. And now he's a guy that people are starting starting to pay attention to. Well, I think when you come in as a freshman and you outscore guys like Alex Newhook and other first-round picks that come into the league, yeah, of course he's going to start generating some some, some hype, I guess, behind him. And I think a lot of that came from playing with you know former Canucks prospect Tyler Madden last year. A lot of the power play points came from assists that were primarily from Tyler Madden. And now that Tyler Madden's gone uh, and moved on to, I believe, overseas, right? I think he's playing overseas now with the LA Kings. Um, but now that we're seeing McDonough do it by himself, he's still in that similar spot. But something that he's talked about as well is that now – they're not looking at Tyler Madden. They're all looking at Aiden McDonough now on the power play, and he's got an excellent shot from the right side. He's doing a lot of the similar things that Adam Gaudet did, just kind of flipped it on the other side, right? So I think he brings a lot to the offense, and I think that he's starting to round out his game a little bit of defense, and that's something that he talked about with you guys was, you know, he's he's working on not really looking at goals and assists right now. He's looking at like, oh, I played a good game today. You know, it doesn't have to be on the score sheet, but when you look back at the game, do you feel like you had a good impact? And I think that's what he's doing this year. It's always interesting to see the progression of college hockey prospects as well because we know how difficult it is for freshmen to make an impact in the NCAA, and he did that last year, but you're still not going to be necessarily one of the leaders or one of the core players on your team as a freshman. And one of the things I like about the college hockey route is you have a chance to develop into that player, right? You you can grow into a much bigger role over the three or four years or two, three, four years, whatever it is, that you're playing in the NCAA. And that that's that process you're talking about, Faber, right? Where he realizes, okay, I'm not, not just a goal scorer. I'm not just a point producer. I can do a lot of other things on the ice. And, and you know, Katie, as we were talking about, if he does ultimately project as a third or a fourth line player, and maybe I don't want to put a ceiling on him, maybe there's more upside there, but just looking down the road a little bit, those are the kinds of things he's going to need to do to secure a spot in the bottom six, right? We we know how, how much of an emphasis this coaching staff puts on getting those details right and being hard to play against and all those little things, especially in the bottom six. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head with that one. It's It's so interesting because, yeah, as we talked about earlier in the show, we keep talking about all the holes on the bottom two lines, but yeah, someone like that can come in and, and who knows if maybe they secure a spot on the top two lines. It's, it's so cool to see the development that the Canucks organization has been able to do with these guys. Faber, any last thoughts on him? Uh, it's the starting lineup here on Sportsnet 650. We will continue that conversation. We're just up against the clock. Sorry, Katie, but we'll continue that conversation, get a little more Canucks talk in as well. Harmon Dial from The Athletic will join us at the top of the hour just after 8 o'clock. You've got it on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Now more of the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. Ooh, lay, hey, hey, hey. 
It's the starting lineup here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd and Katie Caldwell in for the week. Perry and James will be back next week. Get you all set as Canucks training camp opens on the weekend, which I, I can't believe. It, I mean, it's one thing that 2021 is just days away, Katie, only a couple days away. On top of that, Canucks training camp is uh, is only days away as well. I cannot wait for it to officially get going. And, you know, Katie, we, uh, we've been having the conversation throughout the course of the show today about where the Canucks star young players, Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes, stack up against their peers, specifically in the Canadian division. And, you know, Elliot Friedman kind of mentioned on the program last night that that he'd be willing to listen to the argument that Elias Pettersson is the best player in the Canadian division. I'm not quite ready to go there, but certainly with Quinn Hughes, to me, I mean, he's clearly the top defenseman in the Canadian division. And I wanted to expand it a little bit, looking at not just this division, but the league as a whole. And I'm not going to say, you know, which play is Elias Pettersson the best player in the league. I'm not going to go there or anything like that. But we have become accustomed to the Canucks competing for the Calder Trophy every year, right? With Brock Besser, Elias Pettersson, and Quinn Hughes. Mm -hmm. There's no obvious candidate to be in the Calder race this year. You never know how someone like Ole Levy could show up, but there's no obvious candidate. But I'm wondering, is there a Canucks player who you think you could contend this season for a different individual trophy in the NHL? I have a feeling that you're going to be making a case for Quinn Hughes, so I'm going to go a different direction here. Um, I think it's probably pretty irresponsible and really spicy, but I'm going to go for it anyways, because why not? Let's do it. I'm going to say Petey for the heart. All right. I love it. Hear me out. So as we talked about earlier in the show, I just see so much potential for him to keep improving throughout the season, which, as I said earlier, it's almost difficult to fathom that because he's already so elite. But the work that he's putting in on the in the offseason, it's just and we even saw the jump with him last season between the break and then coming back into the bubble. That was that was another test that he passed every single time he's been giving any sort of test or expectation. He blows us all away. So, yeah, there weren't too many expectations for the Canucks going in. But you do in that setting like to see how guys like PD and Hughes perform and then they ended up going on a pretty sweet run which was awesome but his point production was there his normal swagger and confidence that we just love to see that was there but then things like his face-off percentage that was something that vastly improved from the regular season into the bubble playoffs and it seems like there are just areas of his game where if it's not up to where he'd like it to be he's able to hone in on it and just improve it vastly. And it's just one of those things where I keep wondering how he can get better. And he keeps making these big leaps when I think he doesn't have any further to go. And that's where we started the conversation off earlier today about Friedman, where I don't necessarily like when he says, I'll listen to that conversation. Okay, I'll listen to it. But I'll make the argument for McDavid again and again. But that's right now. We don't know how big of a jump PD can make over this season. And then if they do make it into the playoffs, it's just, it seems like this guy has no ceiling. And that's where I just think like coming into this season, he's just gotten better and better. And I'm not saying it's going to happen, Canucks fans. <laughs> I'm just saying, let's go with some spicy takes and let's just, let's predict it. Yeah. I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm just saying is the, is the official, is the official <laughs> exactly. line there. Yeah. And, and look, when you're talking about, major awards, and specifically the Hart Trophy, right? The MVP. Mm -hmm. 
there's, yes, statistics, that matters, but it's not just the best player award, or at least that's not how it's it's voted on by right. the people who decide it. There's there's always a narrative element to it, right? And that mm-hmm. that that has to be part of your, your forecasting process here. And you just look at how this Canucks season sets up. Elias Pettersson is the the consensus best player on the team, certainly the best forward by a mile. We all know that. Yeah, he has Quinn Hughes, but the the consensus around the league is that this team from a roster standpoint has kind of taken a, a little bit of a step backwards probably. That that's how most people feel around the league. Right. And it, it, and you when you think about that as a setup, if Elias Pettersson is able to, you know, establish a a new point production pace and you know go well over a point per game, and leads this team to a playoffs, just from a narrative perspective, yeah, that absolutely puts them in the Hart Trophy race. And, of course, you know, it depends on what other players are doing. But that is the kind of storyline that that people can buy into, right? A team, a right. young team that took a bit of a step backwards but was carried to the playoffs by their best player finding a new level. That is the kind of season that can absolutely win you the Hart Trophy. So you're not you're not, you know, completely out to lunch here when you say that's a possibility. It absolutely is. I would make the case for Quinn Hughes. I just think his And now it's it's a little difficult with the Norris because that tends to be an award where you have to kind of earn your reputation and then you win the award. It tends to lag a little bit behind, mm-hmm. I think, what's actually happening on the ice. But Quinn Hughes and Kale McCarr are kind of unique in the sense that they have they seem to have already broken through with the old school hockey people, right? And ev- yes. there, there are it's really hard to find someone out there who says, oh, yeah, Quinn Hughes is flashy, but I, I don't really value him that much as a player. Everyone values Quinn Hughes as a player. So, I mean, if he has, you know, 65, 70 points in 56 games, which I get is an incredibly tall order. I also think it's completely on the table for Quinn Hughes. If he has a season like that, yeah, he's going to be in the Norris conversation. It's more difficult because we probably won't see him in much of a penalty-killing role. You know, will he be the number one matchup guy for the Canucks? All of those things count with the Norris. I I just think, I mean, it it wouldn't surprise me at all if he led the defenseman, NHL defenseman in points this year. And you do that, yeah, you're going to be in the Norris conversation. Absolutely. And one thing about that's cool about this season is so many more people out east are going to be watching the Canucks because it felt like for a lot of people last season in the bubble they're kind of going oh this Pedersen is actually really good because they hadn't watched too too much of him and we're all sitting here going uh yeah some of us have known that for quite a while but a lot of people out east haven't necessarily watched a lot of the Canucks but it seems like even with that being the case people have been so hyper aware of Quinn Hughes because he's just that dominant. Like you can't talk about all last season. You couldn't talk about Kale McCarr without making the comparable to Quinn Hughes. And it just goes to show that even when people aren't necessarily watching the team and you're still that aware of this guy and same with PD, I think he's got nowhere to go, but up, which is just crazy to fathom as well. That's a good point. You know, a combined 18 games against Montreal and Toronto, which, you know, as much as uh, as much as we don't like it, it's still very much the, the center of the hockey media universe for all intents and purposes. That's where it is. Yes. You're right. That extra exposure will help uh, the Canucks in these individual trophy conversations. And I think, you know, both Elias Pettersson and, and Quinn Hughes, I... I would say they're a bit, they're long shots for those particular trophies, but they're not mm-hmm. they're not completely uh, out of the conversation. They there are you can easily imagine realistic scenarios where they end up competing for the Hart and Norris trophies respectively. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line if you have thoughts about 
which Canuck could challenge for a major individual trophy this season, hit us up, join the conversation. And uh, up next, Harmon Dial of The Athletic will join the conversation. Really excited to get his thoughts uh, about Pod Colson's performance at the World Juniors and about how the Canucks uh, line up at training camp and some of the battles we'll see at the bottom of the roster as well. That's coming up next with with Harmon Dial. It's the starting lineup here on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Spicing up your morning drive with the Canuck Commute. If you want to make an argument to me that Pedersen's the best player in the Canadian division, okay, I'm willing to listen to your argument. This is the starting lineup with James Sabalski and Perry Solkowski. Uh, brings a smile to my face every time. We've all had those moments. You're on the mic. It doesn't quite come out exactly how you wanted it to. That, of course, is Stan Smeal, uh drafting Vasily Podkolzin for the Vancouver Canucks last year here at Rogers Arena. Yeah, not quite. Not quite how he was hoping it would come out there. But we got it. We get the point. It, it, it's happened to the best of us, Katie. It's happened to me like four times today. Remember 45 minutes <laughs> exactly. ago when I tried to explain that being respectful was cool? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, that was an equally as uh, as embarrassing gaffe, I would say. Boy, that escalated quickly. <laughs> it's the starting lineup here at Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Katie Caldwell filling in for Perry and Seaball. Chris Faber doing a fantastic job producing here at the studio. We are going to be joined very, very shortly by uh, Harmon Dial of The Athletic. Looking forward to getting into... Uh, the conversation with Harmon does fantastic work covering the Canucks, of course, for the Athletic. We'll talk to him about training camp, some of the battles shaping up in camp, get his thoughts on Vasily Podkolzin as well. You know, I thought uh, we, we touched on it a little bit earlier in the show, Katie, but Harmon had a really good tweet about this last night, just talking about that roller coaster of emotions that fans are going through, Canucks fans are going through with Vasily Podkolzin right now. And he's absolutely right. And I think as media members, it's on us to keep putting out reminders of we don't always need to put that much stock. We should just sit back and have a bit of fun as well (laughs) without putting so much stock, like we said, in every game and every tournament as if that's going to define you for the rest of your career. And now (laughs) it gets me every time. Oh, it's it's fantastic. It's now that clip is never going away. It's going to live forever. Uh, It's the starting lineup here on Sportsnet 650. Now very pleased to be joined by uh, Harmon Dial, who does fantastic work covering the Canucks for the Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter as well at Harmon Dial Two. Harm, thanks thanks very much for making some time for us this morning. How are you? I'm great, guys. How are you? Uh, we're doing very well. I, I'm hope, I hope you're having a, uh, a good holiday season, enjoying watching some hockey at the World Juniors. And, you know, before we get into the Canucks, I just wanted to start. I, I just mentioned it a couple minutes ago, but I really uh, I really appreciated your tweet last night when everyone was jumping back on board the Vasily Podkols and hype train saying basically, okay, it's great that he's scored some goals, but let's not get too caught up in the, in the roller coaster of emotion based on, you know, a bad game here at the World Juniors or a good game here at the World Juniors. And I, you know, I just wanted to get your thoughts, not based on what he did last night or what he's done at this tournament, but just zooming out and trying to take everything into account with Vasily Podkols. And where where are you on him as a prospect right now? Yeah, it's a really interesting sort of question to try and unpack, even in the bigger picture, because um, a lot of people they look at the lack of point production over in the KHL 
Um, and it concerns them. And, and look, I completely understand why, for the average fan, um, they may look at that uh, and, and be a little bit concerned. But the, the fact of the matter is, you look at his development situation over in Russia, um, and he's barely playing games. And, and even when he is, he's got an extremely tight leash on him where um, he's playing with other fourth-line grinders, and he knows that if he makes any sort of mistake, he's going to be stapled to the bench. So that limits his offensive creativity and freedom. Um, and, 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 and again, you, you look at a lot of other similar Russian prospects. If you're, if you're playing for one of these Army teams, uh, like Ska St. Petersburg or CSKA uh, Moscow, you're, you're, if you're a young player and you're going to the NHL and, and those Russian teams know that, you're just not going to get playing time. And um, that's pretty evident when you watch him play. It's not that he's not deserving of more ice time. It's just Ska knows that he's leaving for Vancouver in a year's time. So why would they prioritize his development and give him minutes when they're the second deepest team in Russia and, and can just play their own guys. So um, I think that's an important factor. Um, and, and when you watch him play, I still, I still like a lot of the things that he's been doing. He plays an extremely mature detail oriented two way game. Um, he, 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 he looks like he belongs at the level to be quite honest with you. Um, you even see him setting up chances offensively. There's a case to be made that, um, if his line mates could finish a little, little bit better, that he'd have uh, more points. So, you know, from my perspective, as far as the offensive numbers kind of go, you almost kind of have to wait for him to either, A, get a bigger offensive role um, and, and, and wait to see how he does there, or you, you may have to wait to see how he fares in North America before you can really get a sense of um, where his game lies offensively. So, that's where I'm kind of at with him. Um, you know he's going to be an excellent two-way player. You see all the tools there, and I think he's going to more or less hit the ground running um, as a potential NHL player just with respect to his defensive game and, and, and the type of energy line role that he could fulfill um, as soon as he hits uh, the ground in North America here. Um, I'm just curious to see how he does offensively uh, again, what, whether, whether when he either gets that minutes or, or when he eventually does come uh, to Canada. I couldn't agree with you more, Harmon, that, yeah, he definitely does look ready. And you're so right about his two-way play. I want to switch gears and talk about the Canucks. Uh, we've been talking a lot about expectations for them this year in the Canadian division. And there's a case to be made for them finishing almost anywhere in the standings. It's just such a wild card year. But where do, where do you see them finishing this season in this crazy division. Yeah, I mean, you, you alluded uh, alluded to it perfectly. You could theoretically slot them anywhere um, in in the division, and I think when I kind of step back, um, I look at it kind of in three tiers. Tier one is, uh, I believe anyway, Toronto. Um, I think they greatly underperformed their true ability level last season, and um, when I look at the roster on paper, I think um, they have a level of uh, both depth and, and top-end talent. It's a combination that I don't think the other Canadian teams uh, quite have. So uh, to me, Tier 1 is Toronto. I think they're the currently number one team in Canada. And then when you sort of look at Tier 3, that would be Ottawa at the bottom. And Tier 2 is where you have the other five teams. You have you know Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary, 
Montreal, Winnipeg, all crammed in there. And um, among those five teams, I mean, you know, depending on the day of the week, you could you, you could convince me on any order for for those five teams, and um, I could see a convincing case for it. The the margins are so razor thin, and um, I, I mean, when Don Lushishin for the Athletic put his projections out, he had four points separating them. So it's almost one of those things where, you know, it, it's almost going to come down to who's who's the healthiest uh, amongst those kind of like tier two teams. Um, and, uh, and for the Canucks, I mean, um, I, I think they're going to be, you know, right in the mix to, to compete for, for any of the spots between, uh, two to two to four, uh, to, to try and get into the playoffs. I don't think it's a guarantee that they're going to, um, make it certainly, I, I think a lot of fans looked at their performance in the bubble and kind of have them as a shoe in for the playoffs. I'm not sure that I'm. Uh, that convinced just yet but obviously there's a ton of reason for optimism and um uh, again it's just it's one of those things where you know the the margins are are so slim so close and it seems like a cop-out to say um but uh, again you could anywhere between you know two to six in the division they could they could finish there and and i really wouldn't even blink an eye in conversation with Harmon Dial of the Athletic Vancouver, talking Canucks here in the starting lineup, Sportsnet 650. And uh, last night on our on our station, Harmon, Elliot Friedman of Sportsnet uh, raised a few eyebrows, I think, when he he kind of said in passing that if, if somebody wanted to make the argument to him that Elias Pettersson is the best player in the Canadian division, he would be willing to listen to that argument. And he also said the same thing with Quinn Hughes on the blue line in the Canadian division, that he could see the case for Quinn Hughes being the best uh, defenseman in this division. Now, I think there's a stronger case for Quinn Hughes in that discussion, but from your perspective, how do Elias Pettersson and, and Quinn Hughes rank in the in the hierarchy of this All-Canadian division? Yeah, definitely agree on Hughes being the um, the, the stronger case. I, I'm pretty confident, confident at this point that he is the, the best defenseman in Canada. Like, that's not um, one of those um, sort of, you know, conversations that uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm hesitant to kind of put my take uh, take out there on. I think um, when you look at his obviously elite offensive impact, but also the type of uh, five on five value that he's brought to the table um, and how he sort of changes the dynamic of the entire game when he steps on the ice at even strength. Um, you know, I, I think he's a borderline top 10 defenseman in the NHL period. And so to me, um, I think that's pretty cut and dry. Um, as far as Pedersen, yeah, I have a little bit more reservations on uh, on that one. Um, I think there may be a point in time um, further sort of down the line where um, that may be a little bit more of an interesting conversation. I just, I, I don't think Pedersen's there quite yet. I think he's close. To me, um, you've, you've kind of got the... Um, you know, to, to me, I still think McDavid, you know, kind of has that edge. He has uh, been by far the most dominant offensive player um, of this uh, of this generation since he came into the league, and um, especially when you contextualize the fact that um, you know contextualize how poor his teams have been, and um, the fact that he hasn't had when he's not playing with Drysaddle, he's essentially had to carry. Um, subpar line mates for uh, a great 
steal of, of, of his minutes. So I think that's important context to keep in mind. Um, and then kind of when it comes to dry Fatal Matthews, I think, I, I think that's where I'm a little bit more willing to listen. Um, I think that's where Patterson's pretty close with dry settle. Yeah. He just came off winning the heart, but um, I, I think his defensive game leaves a lot to be desired. Um, and uh, with respect to Matthews. Yeah. I, I mean, he's just so close with Patterson and um, Patterson being one year younger, maybe a year from now we're a lot, we're, we're, we're very confident like we are with Quinn Hughes that Patterson um, is better than Matthews, but um, so right now, I think I'd have probably McDavid up there, um, sort of number one, and um, you could put sort of Pedersen in, in the same sort of tier as Drysdale and, and Matthews. I think um, just just shortly behind a, a step below uh, McDavid. It feels like we're just splitting hairs with a lot of these guys because they are just so elite, and you can make a case for almost any of them. But I think you're right about Quinn Hughes about being borderline top ten in the league. Absolutely, um, the Canucks did lose a few key pieces on defense. It does get a bit more suspect after Hughes. Nate Schmidt is obviously a huge acquisition, but there are still questions. Does this team need to add another depth defenseman, or Harmon? Do you think there's enough to develop one of the pieces they already have in the system? Yeah, I think with the way the back end is currently constructed, I mean, the top four, especially relative to the rest of Canada right now, um, I think you really like the makeup of it because if you, I mean, we'll see who Schmidt ends up playing with, but um, if you have Schmidt and Hughes on separate pairs, that ensures that you have an elite puck mover on the ice um, at all times. And, and the, just the type of, the, the caliber of defenseman that Schmidt is, um I think you really like the way the, the top four is, is kind of rounding out. And obviously there are concerns though. Um, if you run into one or two injuries there, um, it becomes really shallow really quickly. And um, next up on the depth chart, I've, I've talked about this a lot. Um, you know, you, you, you don't want Jordy Ben or Oli Levy playing high, high leverage minutes for you. Uh, and so in, in that scenario, it would be really helpful. I think they could really use, and, and that is probably their number one need now, is if possible, um, being able to acquire uh, a veteran steady number five who can anchor the third pairing. And then um, when injuries inevitably strike, especially in a condensed 56-game schedule, um, that sort of defenseman can competently step up into your top four and won't skip a beat. Um, that definitely, to me, stands out as a need. Um, I know that the coaching staff has pleaded their case um, for the organization to try and acquire that piece, and that's why you've seen um, the rumors kind of swirling around about Travis Hamannick. Uh, but right now, I think, you know, more or less, I, I'd be surprised if they make a move between now, a major, a major one anyway, between now and training camp. I think, um, as you mentioned with the prospects, whether it's a Ulevi, a Rathbone, Rafferty, they're kind of going into camp and, um, they're going to take, like, I think they're just, they're, they're placing their bet on these sort of young prospects and looking for that internal growth. Um, and they'd rather rely on their own guys in the system. Um, I think that could be a little bit of an a, a ambitious bet, um, given how unproven some of these guys are, but Hey, they could come into camp and surprise, but, um, yeah, I think, I think that is probably the number one concern is the depth on the back end, even though you'd like the top of, uh, that blue line and, and what it represents in terms of how it can sort of, how much better it looks compared to years past. 
Harmon Dial, our guest here on Sportsnet 650, the starting lineup with Jamie Dodd and Katie Caldwell. And, you know, Harmon, you mentioned that they're relying on performances from some of their young players on the back end. And I, I think another spot where that's going to be the case is for that extra that extra opening in the top six, right? And the, the question is, who will get to be that extra top six forward? Right now, who do you think is the best option that they have to put in that spot? Well, you'd hope it's Jake Vertanen because the alternative might just be Louis Erickson, and I'm not sure um, how many people want to go through another half season plus of, of Louis next to Bo Horvat. I mean, but, you know, Travis Green's t- hand is kind of tied here because if Vertanen doesn't fit there, then he's pretty short on options. I mean, you're probably not going to shift Gaudet from center to wing. Uh, you'd prefer that he can play up the middle and, and anchor his own line. Um, and if you're not, you know, if you're not going with Vertanen there, then the options become really slim because uh, it's it's either Louis. I guess you could put Brandon Sutter there. You know, Jace Howerlock maybe. Um, none of those options are appealing, to be quite honest with you. So um, you talk about the Canucks being reliant on some of these young players in the back end to take a step. Um, the level of expectation now on Jake Vertanen is lot higher than it was uh, a year ago and um, whether he can you know I think in an ideal world um, if he can sort of potentially fit on that top line um, I think that would permit Besser to kind of slide down to the second line and I think you're pretty you're pretty comfortable with uh, with that um, because I think in Vertanen's case he hasn't shown um a lot um, of chemistry with Bo Horvat offensively. I think if you look at his track record of those two playing together over the last uh, two seasons, Vertanen and Horvat have have barely cracked two goals an hour at five on five. And so you couple that with the fact that you probably don't want Vertanen playing shut down um, matchup minutes um, that Bo Horvat would be entrusted with. And it's probably a better bet to slide him up to the top line at least for the start of camp, just to see how it goes with uh, Pedersen and Miller, given the, the success that he's had in spurts with them, um, and then allow Besser, who's a more reliable 2A piece, to play with Horvat. Um, so I think that would be, you know, the number one option that you consider in camp. Uh, but, I mean, you've got to keep in mind, you're talking about a 56-game season, there's not going to be an opportunity here for guys to play their way into shape. So if a guy like Vertanen isn't ready to go, um, he's not going to get the luxury of sort of, again, work, playing his way into form. They're just the time isn't available. If the Canucks get off to a slow start, if any team gets off to a slow start, it's going to be such a tough, they're going to have such a tough time trying to claw back in this divisional race um, that, um, again, the leash is going to be short on a lot of these guys. And um, again, you, you're just hoping Vertanen hits because otherwise you may be stuck uh, with Louis in the top six. Yeah, you're right about Green and having guys on a short leash because, yeah, this season more than ever, you definitely don't have the room or space to go on a big losing streak. But, Harmon, another hot topic in the city is Travis Green's contract. Um, Jamie and I were talking on the show yesterday that holding on to Green may be the only thing that Canucks fans can actually fully unite on, that and Mark Messier. <laughs> but what do you foresee <laughs> happening with Travis Green's contract situation? Yeah, it's um, it's a good question. From you know, from all that we're hearing right now, it doesn't seem that it's all that likely that it gets, gets done before training camp, which to me is really surprising. I mean, 
Um, and especially you look at the optics of the situation, the type of playoff run that the Canucks are just coming off of, um, how difficult and, and what a tough situation it is for um, uh, a lame, for, to be a lame duck coach heading into um, a final season in a big Canadian market. Like that's a really tough spot to be put in. Um, and, and, and really uh, a lot of these uh, things are simple to me. I mean, the Canucks clearly want him back. They view him as their long-term coach. Green, he's a BC guy, loves coaching in Vancouver. Um, he loves working with this group. He wants to be back. And you don't have to worry about salaries here in, in, in the sense that there is no salary cap, right? This is just um, hard cash. There is no limit on how much you can spend on uh, staff. And obviously that's not to say that you go out and, um, you know, the, that the Canucks don't have a right to negotiate down to what they think is a fair price and, and try and get the best deal that they can. Um, but if you really value the coach, then it should be, a, in, in my opinion, a fairly straightforward negotiation. And I think it goes back to um, the fact that in, in the midst of this pandemic, the Canucks have been uh, hit, hit maybe harder um, by this uh, coronavirus than a lot of us would have maybe anticipated. Because, I mean, these are the types of conversations that you imagine having in, I don't know, smaller market market smaller market teams uh, or cities like Carolina or Florida or, or maybe even a Columbus uh, about cash and, and whether you can afford to pay um, a coach or a GM or, or whoever. Um, the fact that we're having this conversation in Vancouver, one of the biggest markets in the NHL to me is, is really surprising. And um, you just hope that, I mean, it's a dangerous, it's a slippery slope. Uh, the longer you go on this, the more leverage green, ga- green gains as far as he becomes closer to um, his free agency and being able to explore his options. And you know that the rest of the league, looking at his playoff performance, is going to be chomping at the bit to try and bid, on, bid, in, bid in on him. So um, the Canucks have to be careful here. And um, I think they... I, it, it, obviously, if I was in their situation, it's, it's easy for me to say, but... I really would be doing everything possible to try and uh, try and lock him in as uh, as quickly as possible because they legitimately do think that he's their guy. Hey, Harmon, we always appreciate the time and the insight, and uh, I have a feeling we'll be chatting again soon once uh, once Canucks training camp gets going here in a few days. Thanks for having me, guys. There he is. That is Harmon Dial. Does great work covering the Canucks at the Athletic. Athletic, and of course, you, sh- you should be uh, following him on Twitter at Harmon Dial Two as well. Always a pleasure to hear from Harmon, and uh, yeah, I mean, he uh, he hit the nail on the head there, Katie. Like it is legitimately concerning if they are not able to do a deal strictly for money concerns here, because I don't get the sense, and I don't think anyone's reported that Travis Green is making an unreasonable ask to the Canucks. It seems to be very much, and this is what Dan Murphy said when we spoke to him yesterday. You know. All indications are that it's very much in the realm of, uh, you know, an average NHL's coaching salary. And to get Travis Green on an average coaching salary, it should be a no-brainer for the Canucks. It should be a no-brainer. You're absolutely right. One question I guess I kind of have that's just starting to pop up in my brain. Is it because I know it's a good thing. You want to get him locked down. You don't want to risk losing him whatsoever. Definitely not. But is it maybe a good thing for just this season that he's coaching for a contract like just in terms of this actual season nothing moving forward because obviously the Canucks do want to sign him but 
I don't know. Is that just, is that a crazy perspective to look at it? Well, I guess it's a gamble, right? I mean, to an extent, yeah. it's the same thing as, as letting a player go into their contract year, right? You, the yeah. Price could go down, price could go up. And yes, there's that extra motivating factor, but you're also taking a bit of a risk when you do that, you know, because yeah, the price could go way up. The demand could go mm-hmm. way up, right? If they have an exceptional year, uh, it, you know, in a, in a bizarre, difficult circumstances that they're playing in. I want to have a little bit more of that conversation uh, throughout the course of the show here. We're going into the final half hour. We also had a great conversation with Scott Niedermeyer earlier in the program. We will replay you some of that, hear his thoughts on Bowen Byram and some of the other young defensemen uh, in the NHL or just about to break into the NHL right now. It's the starting lineup, Jamie Dodd and Katie Caldwell here on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. This is the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. Final half hour of the show here, the starting lineup, Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd and Katie Caldwell in all this week in place of uh, Seaball and Sokowski. We'll be back with you next week in this time block as, as usual. Uh, lots of attention being paid, of course, to the World Juniors. We've talked about Vasily Podkolzin plenty this morning. Bowen Byram getting lots of run here, too. Of course, the Vancouver Giant player also starring for Team Canada at the World Juniors. Bowen Byram, BC boy from Cranbrook in the Kootenays. And we were very, very fortunate to chat earlier in the show with another uh, Cranbrook product that you might have heard of before. Scott Niedermeyer, Hockey Hall of Famer, one of the most decorated professional hockey players of all time. Had a great chat with him. You can hear the full th- whole, whole interview uh, right now at sportsnet.ca slash 650. And uh, we started off chatting to Scott Niedermeyer about his impressions of Bowen Byram's game right now. Obviously, Bowen is, is amazing at it. I mean, we've been watching the World Juniors, like you said, just like everybody else. And, um, I mean, watching that whole team, the skill level, but but especially him, just the way he plays with the puck and decisions he makes, they, they're a little different. He, he sort of sees the game differently than than most players, I would say, and I think that's one of his strengths as well as his skating. And, and Scott, you know, you had a very successful junior career, obviously, and then you you were able to transition very successfully uh, into the NHL after your junior career finished. For for an elite player like Bowen Byron, who's had so much success at the junior level here in the WHL and also on the international stage, what's going to be the most difficult part of transitioning to being a full time NHL player? Um, I, I'm sure it's it's changed a, a bit, um, but I know for me there was a lot to be learned on the defensive sort of side of the the puck. Um, you know, we I don't I think these players now are, are coached at a much higher level. Um, they have a better understanding of the game at this age than I think we did when I was in the teen as a teenager still. Um, so I think they're probably a little more prepared for it. But I know when I got there, um, there was a lot of bumps in the road uh, as to you know when to join the attack and when to make those decisions to take chances and um so that was something that i had to figure you're playing now against obviously not just the best players your age in the world but just the best players period in the world and they they make you pay for mistakes that you make um so to me that would probably be the big thing that i found anyway was uh, just learning to make better decisions and, and be more responsibly uh be, be more responsible defensively in conversation with Hockey Hall of Famer Scott Niedermeyer here on the starting lineup Sportsnet 
650. And, you know, there's been there's been a crop of young defensemen in recent years here in the NHL uh, at the NHL level who've had immediate success in their careers. And, you know, certainly in Vancouver, we saw it with Quinn Hughes last year, Kale McCarr, Miro Heiskanen. Why do you think it is that these young, highly skilled defensemen are able to to come in now and just immediately excel at the NHL level? Yeah, I I think I mentioned it uh, briefly. Just that I think they are are, are better prepared. I, I just think they've gone through more sort of intensive coaching. They do more video work, um, you know. So maybe those areas of their game that back when I played were were weaker. I hadn't spent much time worrying about. Um, you know, they've been coached right from their minor hockey days, um, watching video. Um, you know, coaching has gotten better. So I think even at the younger ages, those coaches understand the game and are teaching all aspects of it. Um, and probably just also the nature of the game has changed so much. Um, you know, you really do have to rely on your mobility and getting around the ice skating. And obviously when you're, when you're a young kid, uh, that's, that's not a problem getting around the ice. That, that's what you can do. And that's sort of what it takes to succeed in this game, no matter what age you are, young or old now, it's a, it's a fast game that you have to play with pace all the time. So, Scott, I'm curious about your thoughts on the new Canadian division for this season. We posed this question to Todd Bertuzzi on the show yesterday, and he had a pretty interesting answer. How would you have felt in your playing days playing the same teams, especially being Canadian teams, so many times in the same season? It's different for sure. I, I think my first year, we actually played Pittsburgh nine times. So I kind of, you know, <laughs> it does get, especially when Pittsburgh was quite good that at that point, it got a little old um playing them that many times for sure um but i I, as a fan i'm i'm excited i mean you know you look at some of the the good young teams out west here it should make for some really entertaining fun hockey to watch um as the same can be said for out east so i i would expect it to be a pretty good division it's you know for fans here they're more familiar probably with the canadian teams and the players on there so that just might be more interesting so i uh, you know, considering everything that's gone on, I, I'm kind of excited to, to see how it goes. Something different, uh, you know, is worth a try, I think, for sure. And Scott, I mentioned uh, uh, Quinn Hughes a little bit earlier in the interview. You know, what what stands out specifically? I'm not sure how much you've had a chance to watch him at the NHL level, but, you know, I, I he draws obviously comparisons to, to the other young elite defensemen in the NHL right now. But when you watch Quinn Hughes play, what specifically stands out about his game for you? Uh, I, I think it would sort of be his decisions with the puck, his creativity. Um you know, again, he, he seems to be willing to try or, or he's capable of doing different things than a lot of players. Um, you know, being out west here, I, I have watched the Canucks play a fair bit and uh, it is pretty entertaining when, when they get to overtime and, and uh, yep. those, those guys are on the ice. It's a uh, must-watch TV for sure. Um, but yeah, I just think his creativity, obviously with his skill and skating, which is, you know, as good as anybody's, but um, very creative and, and very willing Um to try things and uh you know i think that speaks to the way the game's played now the forwards understand defensemen are going to be involved and maybe they have to look to to cover and, and sort of play more as a group of five um and so it makes for for fun hockey for defensemen it, it looks like a lot of fun for those guys to go out there and and sort of be part of the offense like they are and, and play the game the way they are 
Is it is it more fun for you to watch the game now, Scott? Because as you said, you were a bit of a, a bit of a trailblazer in this regard, right? You were you were more unique when you played in that in that you had the skill and the skating ability to join the rush, and now it's much more common. Do you like seeing that become as widespread as it has, where now every team has it seems like multiple defensemen who can join the rush and make plays with the puck? Um. Yeah, I, I, I do. I, I really do enjoy watching the game. I, I think if there's any little complaint I have, and it's really a small one, is, you know, back sort of when when I was starting and playing, you, you really had a lot of different styles of players that could have success. Um, you know, some big guys that maybe were really skilled with their hands, didn't skate as well, but they could make a living around the net, scoring goals and, and having success that way. Um, you had some smaller players that found a way to do it in a real physical brand of hockey. Um, now I find when you watch the game, it, every player is it's quite similar in how they play. Um, obviously, talent levels are a little different, but they can all skate quite well. They all handle the puck quite well. Um, it does make for a fast-paced, high-quality game of hockey, but it sort of lacks sort of that different uh, different take from different players. And um, I, I enjoyed that. I guess maybe I'm just thinking back to what it was like when I played and just understanding these guys had success in different ways. But other than that, I really do love watching the game. And the skill level is amazing. Even these world juniors, I mean, you watch, even watch Austria, you watch some of those teams, their skill level obviously isn't as high as Canada's overall, but there are some players on on those teams that can skate and and play hockey as well. So it's, it's neat to see. I think it'll definitely be a juniors to remember for a multitude of reasons. But Scott, last question here for you, and then we'll let you on your way. Uh, you have sons who play junior hockey here in BC. Their seasons haven't started yet, um, obviously, with all the circumstances. What's that experience been like? Yeah, it, you know, that's, that's sort of through this whole thing. I, I've felt very fortunate, you know, not to be in the middle of it as a player. Um, you know, it, uh, you know, the NHL find, found a way to sort of complete their season, which was great. Um, but for, for young kids, you know, and not even necessarily hockey players, but teenage athletes, teenage kids in general that are graduating or going through unique moments of their life, I've, I've sort of felt for them. Um, you know, it's been, been difficult. These are moments that you really don't get too many tries at. And, um, you know, we're obviously hoping that maybe things can get a little better and they can put a little bit of a, a season together here in the spring, maybe if if things get better, they were able to play some exhibition sort of tournament uh, back in the fall. They, I think they ended up playing 14 games. So that I thought that was great and a success that uh, the BCHL was able to put something like that together. Obviously things are quiet now, but hopefully maybe in another short period of time, they can do that again. So just hoping they can play and continue to improve and, and have fun. I mean, ultimately I think back to my junior days and the fun we had traveling together as a group of, teammates and playing hockey and winning and losing and doing all that stuff. That was Scott Niedermeyer earlier on the show with us here in the starting lineup. Of course, a longtime NHL star with the Devils and the Ducks on the international stage for Canada, member of the Hockey Hall of Fame. Really thrilled to uh, to get his thoughts on the junior hockey situation here in BC, as you heard at the end, as well as what Bowen Byram's doing for Canada, what Quinn Hughes has done for the Canucks so far in his NHL career. Again, you can check out the full interview at Sportsnet. 
ca slash 650 going into the final segment of the show we'll wrap up with some final thoughts on Vasily Pod Colson on the Vancouver Canucks where they might look to add to their roster before training camp it's the starting lineup here in the home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650 now more of the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650 everybody right here Starting lineup here on Sportsnet 650. Final few minutes of the show. Jamie Dodd and Katie Caldwell here with you for the remainder of the week as well. We'll be back tomorrow taking a, a little bit of a look back at the uh, the awful, awful year that was <laughs> 2020 <laughs> on New Year's Eve. So make sure you join us tomorrow as well. Still time to get in on the conversation, by the way. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. And, Katie, just before we get back into uh, into a Canucks chat here uh, for the final few minutes, you know, we, we were talking all morning about Vasilipod Colson finally putting some some nervous Canucks fans at ease by having a standout performance at the, uh, at the World Juniors last night, two goals and an assist against Austria. He looked great all game, and... We should mention, you know, there's another very high-profile prospect who really had a, a parallel experience, and that's, of course, Quinton Byfield, number two draft pick uh, of the LA Kings. People expected a really, really big tournament for him as, as a big part of Team Canada at this event, and, I mean, he got going in a big, big way uh, last night against Switzerland, racking up six points in that one. Jamie, I think there were a lot of people mass deleting tweets last night <laughs> that had anything but praise for Quinton Byfield because, yeah, there was a lot of hating on going for him. And then that quickly turned around last night, didn't it? Yeah, and uh, he was fantastic. And I um, I really like Quentin Byfield as a prospect. I mean, look, he went number two in the draft. Of course, most people like him. But, you know, friend of the uh, friend of the station, who a lot of people will know from Twitter, Cam Robinson, who does excellent work on the draft and on, and on Canucks and hockey prospects in general, pre-draft, I remember him actually saying he would take Quentin Byfield as the first overall pick above Alexi Lafreniere. So shout out to oh, Cam wow. Robinson. I think he was probably pretty uh, pretty happy to see his boy Quentin Byfield uh, step up to the plate in a big way last night. And you know, I mean, just as uh, as someone rooting for Team Canada at this event, it was uh, it, it's hard to draw too much from any game against the Swiss at this event, right? You know, it's going to be pretty lopsided. But despite that, I did feel like that was their most complete team effort at the tournament thus far last night. It definitely was. And you're right. There's not too much that we can take out of it yet, just because if there's a difference of 10 goals, obviously, there's not a lot you're going to take out of it compared to what we will tomorrow. Right. That's yeah. that's going to be the game where there's always every World Juniors. We're all excited on Boxing Day and then there's a few games, but there's always the ones circled where you're like, OK, but let's let's look at that one just because they're fun. But then when you see the blowout games, like none of us are having a good time on either end when that's nope. happening. So, yeah, it was a nice, complete game. It was nice to see the improvements they made throughout the game too. like the first period. They started off pretty slow and they had a lot of they took a lot of penalties and they had a lot of power play issues where they just couldn't really get it going. But it was pretty cool to see how they were able to turn that around in game. So, yeah, you're right. It was really complete. And Byfield, man, like you saw his compete level last night. Oh, yeah. I know you led with him. But, yeah, it was cool to see a guy like that come out and basically just shut everybody up that was having anything to say about him. 
And uh, yeah, they'll get into the meat of their schedule in a big way when they play Finland tomorrow. We'll preview that a little bit on the show tomorrow morning. But just in the final couple of minutes here, you know, we've been talking about uh, the Travis Green extension over the last couple of days, when and if he will sign an extension with the team before the season. And kind of in parallel to that, there's been this conversation about, okay, do they need to go out and add depth pieces to this roster? And I mean, is there an appetite for ownership to even go out and spend, you know, a million dollars or whatever it is on bringing in a player like Travis Hamanick? And, you know, Katie, my default in these discussions is always pretty much to say, look, owner, owners, if, you, if you're in a, uh, the owner of a pro sports team, you should be investing in your team. You should be giving them all of the resources necessary to win. That's how I feel in, in these conversations, typically. I will say in this instance... I'm not as concerned about the specific players being discussed. You know, Travis Hamannick is a nice player. I'm not sure how much he moves the needle for the Canucks this year. I will say just the idea that spending an additional $800,000, $900,000, a million dollars, whatever it is, that the money might be the holdup rather than the fit of a player, that is worrying to me as somebody who follows the Canucks. Yeah, that's fair, actually. And and I'm with you. I'm actually, I'm okay with them holding still for now and seeing how they're able to develop the pieces that they have. They're in cost control mode. And it, and it doesn't mean they can't still swing a deal. But yeah, like you said, they're in a tough spot. But there's so much potential in these guys coming up. And like Benning's been saying for a long time that the club, they're prepared to go young and kind of give these kids playing time. And why wouldn't they? Like he's drafted well and so many of them have turned out turned out so well. But yeah, I'm with you. Typically, I would be saying, okay, what are you guys th- doing? You have a bit more room or whichever. But yeah, it's just one of those situations where I trust that they're just going to go with what they have. I I would be a bit surprised if they picked up any other pieces. But yeah, I'm with you. Usually, I would be a bit frustrated with the lack of spending. But I see what they're doing. Yeah, it's it's not the this year question that concerns me. It's the exactly. future. It's going forward that concerns me, right? That That's the big conversation. Yeah, Travis Hamannick, whatever, one way or the other, I, I'm not too concerned about it. It's, it's what it says about the state of the team going forward that I think is a legitimate cause for concern. Uh, we'll keep breaking down the Canucks, keep previewing training camp tomorrow when we're back on the air. Looking forward to that. As I said, we'll take a look back at 2020 as well. Stay tuned for Hockey Central. That's up next. Also, don't forget OT with Caroline Frolic, Lena Satagian, Lindsay Horsting. That is at noon today here on Sportsnet 650. Thanks for listening. It's Jamie Dodd and Katie Caldwell. We will be back tomorrow at 6 a.m. You've got it on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Vasiliev Potstofer.